Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. Good conversation today with Tom King. Uh, I said it on the program, and I've said it a million times on social media. Tom King is blowing us away with excellent work on uh, things like Grayson. He's wrapping up his run with Tim Seeley on Grayson. Uh, also, the Sheriff of Babylon, his excellent Vertigo series about a uh, murder mystery happening in Iraq just after uh, the turnover, when uh, the U.S. turned over power back to uh, the very uh, new Iraqi government. Excellent political drama. Tom knows firsthand about that situation. Um, he did uh, work for the CIA and uh, spent a portion of 2009 in Iraq. And uh, a lot of what he saw there figures into the Sheriff of Babylon. Very interesting story, vetted by the CIA. We talk about that. And, um, you know, I can't help it because uh, with uh, the current state of DC Comics and uh, the current announcements that, oh, another big shakeup is coming up this summer, uh, I love Tom. And I'm uh, happy to say that he is very kind at listening to me vent about what uh, my frustrations have been with uh, DC. Uh, nothing new. I think a lot of DC fans share uh, some of my feelings. And uh, we just talk about that, and um, hopefully things will get better. Uh, they seem to be able to do it on television. Man, Earth 2 this week, The Flash, as good as you ever wanted to see Earth 2. And uh, if they can figure it out on TV, eventually they're going to figure it out on the comic book side. It usually works the other way, though. That's a little bit frust of uh, the frustration that I share with Tom uh, in portions of our conversation. But we go into a bunch of different directions. And it's a great talk with Tom King on Word Balloon today. Did I mention the vision, by the way? I don't think I did. Dwelling on all the DC stuff, Tom's best book is Marvel's The Vision, an incredible science fiction story. Uh, the Vision, uh, the great uh, android of uh, Avengers fame and Age of Ultron, has uh, created a family for himself. And uh, they're trying to integrate into a regular kind of American society. And uh, it is a science fiction nightmare that honestly feels like Ray Bradbury to me. And I tell him that. And again, something I've said a lot on social media. So uh, lots of really good things to talk about with Tom King on today's Word Balloon. Brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Great deals are happening right now at InStock Trades, uh, where you'll be able to find uh, tremendous savings. If your orders are $50 or more, you'll receive free shipping. But um, they make it simple because there are just a ton of savings and deals going on right now at InStock Trades. There are select clearance titles up to 70% off. You can get select image titles up to 50% off. All DC and image titles are a huge 45% off. That's just the tip of the iceberg. There's a new collection of the Justice League featuring the work of Gardner Fox and Mike Sikowski called The Silver Age, Volume 1. The trade paperback is 50% off, just $9.99. And, man, that's a gorgeous cover. Who did that cover? That's got to be a Darwin Cook cover. No, it's a Mike Sikowski cover. Wow. Really interesting, man. Uh, God, I would have sworn that was Darwin Cook. All right, very cool. I, I still like it. Uh, Marvel uh, Masterworks, you can get to Daredevil, Volume 10. Uh, which continues his run with the Black Widow and beyond. Uh, but uh, that is 50% off, $37.50. More contemporary work. Uh, you can get uh, Batman, Harley, and Ivy, the deluxe edition, hardcover, uh, a little bit more recent. Uh, Paul Dini and uh, Tim Bruce, great stuff. 50% off, $12.49. How about the Red Skull trade paperback, which is uh, the Secret Wars miniseries? 42% off, $7.42. You can get Secret Wars Journal Battle World tra trade paperback, uh, collecting all the short stories of uh, the Battle World stories, 
Uh, that is uh, 42% off, $20.29. You can get a Secret Six uh, trade paperback, Volume 1, Friends in Low Places, Ken Lachey and Gail Simone, 45% off, $8.24. And The Superior Foes of Spider-Man Omnibus Hardcover, Nick Spencer and Steve Lieber. It's uh, just a fantastic uh, story and worth your time and money. 42% off, $28.99. More great deals available at InStockTrades.com. Check it out for yourself. Uh, Word Balloon is also brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you very much for your monthly support via Patreon. Um, if you want to subscribe to Word Balloon, it's not necessary, but if you want to help the cause out and can spare a dollar or two, um, that's terrific. Come to WordBalloon.com, the front page, and uh, check out our uh, Patreon uh, uh, click-through, and you can watch a couple videos, and uh, you'll see that, you know, I mean, the money for Word Balloon goes uh, to help uh, pay for travel to the conventions. Uh, I get to do uh, face-to-face time with uh, some of the creators, and it makes it easier to book them. Also, I get to do panels at a few conventions a year, and that, of course, provides interesting programming as well. I've already got a lead on some of the stuff that's going to happen at next year's Cincy Comic-Con, because I saw Tony and Kira Moore last weekend, and I am already excited about some of the panels that will be coming there. Just one of the many shows uh, that I'll be covering over the year with your help. Thank you, League of Word Balloon listeners, for the support. Thank you for letting your friends know that you like Word Balloon and they might like it too. Uh, the best ways to help Word Balloon are, uh, you know, if you get the show through iTunes or any way, subscribe to the show. And uh, if you could write a, a review or give the show a rating, huge help. Uh, to let people know, and it keeps the awareness out there for the iTunes crowd, the way that most people are still getting uh, podcasts these days, by a very large margin. So thank you, League of Word Balloon listeners, for your support. All right, without further ado, let us start our conversation with Tom King. Looking forward to uh, some very interesting thoughts from Tom, and I hope you enjoy today's conversation on Word Balloon. He's back. It's Tom King. And he is kicking ass. I got to tell you, Tom King, it's been a year about, no, not even that. I think we talked at the, either, like, was it mid-convergence last, when we last spoke, or yeah, right before convergence? That sounds right, mid-convergence. Or, yeah, yeah, right before Omega Bank announced, so mid-convergence. Right, okay. So, like, seven months ago or so, maybe eight, months, maybe eight or nine months ago. Is that it? It's crazy. And, Jesus, man, Omega Man, everybody's talking about it. Great book. Don't cancel it, DC. What are you, nuts? Good book. Hang on to it. <laughs> Thank God, they things change. Sheriff of Babylon, awesome Vertigo series, yeah. and 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 my favorite, and we're going to talk about it in a little bit, is the Vision. Because holy shit, man! Like I said uh, to you, and I think I've said it on Twitter, I mean it. It's like Ray Bradbury kind of sci-fi, and it is such a great like Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, Ex Machina. I mean, you've hit the zeitgeist with this story, man, and it's a very unique story, but it's. You know, familiar to in a good way. Thanks. It's like the it's the kind of sci-fi that I enjoy. And yeah, man, that's a great story. Thank you. So yeah, the vision changed everything. That was the big game changer for my whole career. Add up, boy. Especially that right, so we'll, talk, yeah. we'll talk about that in a second because um, as we were getting ready to record, I uh, we were talking about Sheriff of Babylon, and you told me some interesting behind the scenes stuff, and I want to talk about that. Oh, I was just um, it started. The original title was Sheriff of Baghdad, which is still a title mm-hmm. I love. Um, and I had written, I wrote it. The pitch for it, it came two years before anything. Um, it was at Vertigo had it for years, the pitch. Okay. And I greenlit the pitch. It just like kept being pushed back and pushed back for like little in, inside bureaucratic reasons. Two years before anything in terms of two years before anything that you got published? Two years before it launched. So like a year before, oh, okay. like a, almost a year before Grayson launched. Um, okay. I got Grayson off of Sheriff. 
but no one had seen Sheriff. But that's how they knew it. That's, that's how I wrote the first issue of Sheriff, which is the same script that's used for the first issue of that. A year before okay. I wrote the first issue, I guess I didn't come. My first Grayson script was the third issue. Um, but that was almost like my test issue for, for comics, where they were like, oh, this guy can actually write an issue. Fantastic. Um, and it, it, That's a great first issue, man. Jesus Christ. I, you know, but, but go on. Yeah, yeah I mean, um, uh, we can go into, into the influences and stuff, but I was definitely taken from Jason and or Jason Aaron and, and uh, Brian K. Vaughan. Uh, and, but um, yeah, so I had, and back then I had called it Sheriff, but back then I'm sure I did whatever little research I needed to um, to see that no one had done that thing. And I thought, well, I don't know. It, it, the first title was called The Willing, like after the Coalition of the Willing. And it was about, okay. but I don't, I don't know, was the title I still thought was cool, but it was like too esoteric, I guess. For I, that, honestly, forgive me. That was <laughs> that's what I was thinking as soon as you said. Uh, I'm like too esoteric. It's too esoteric. <laughs> no, that's that's like what a writer. This is a stupid writer thought. Like the willing, because it's all about the will. And I was yeah, going to write about sure. Aquinas and like the medieval th- and like it's all about and and um, right. If you're if right, the will of conviction, yeah, yeah, the, the willing conviction. willing to kill, the coalition of the willing. Sure, yeah, I can see that, and, and I I can appreciate from the, that from a writer's standpoint. And, uh, Absolutely. In, um, uh, in Arabic and in most Muslims, um, use use a, a term called inshallah constantly when they talk, and it means God willing, and it means kind of like um, wow, okay. I, I hope so, and like it, it or like. Um, I hope so. It's sort of the, the closest translation, but it, it, they use it as much as I use the words "like" and "you know." You know, it's just like see, I just, sure. Um, so it's uh, I was going. Oh, I was, yeah, the willing. That's great. And then it's like, yeah, that means absolutely nothing, Tom. Will mean nothing to me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. Uh, so uh, so I was like, all right, so I'll search for a different title, and uh, and it was, I, and, you know, it was very much influenced by westerns and absolutely old John Ford stuff, and that was what I was trying to put into it. Um, so I was like, oh, it's sort of the sheriff, the sheriff. I went through a bunch of titles and it's like the sheriff of Baghdad. And I'm like, yeah, that's what it'll be, the sheriff of Baghdad. I submitted that and we liked it. And then we changed it to SOB because they got the son of the bitch thing. And um, <laughs> and so I was like, oh, it could be two things at once. Wow, that's really deep. Um, and then uh, so we went forward with the sheriff of Baghdad. And that's what it was on the pitches and for script and everything. And then when they made the announcement at San Diego – or New York Comic Con. Ah, oh, starting to blend, man. I'm getting old. Um, we got a letter from a dude. Um, I think he's in Oklahoma, and he has a. He was he served in Iraq, and he has sort of a company called Sheriff of Baghdad, and they uh, help like train people in like how to fight combat, I guess, or something. I don't know too much. Are they about mercs it. or are they contractors? I mean, you know, are they are they you know? I I haven't done a lot of research into it. I don't want to like libel the guy or because obviously Understood. he lawyered up against me so i don't want to yeah if you say guy's already litigious yeah he seems good. like he's ready he's to... a fine upstanding citizen what did tom say about me on that podcast that's it <laughs> so yeah wait a minute and whose podcast is that let me sue word balloons <laughs> yeah yeah you're in this tube now buddy <laughs> all your all your podcast money is at my, stake like ralph bellamy in trading places my god we're ruined <laughs> Actually, he sent all the from a podcast, a where he's running against you. It's a deep <laughs> thing. First, publish the comic, then get on Word Balloon, then we get all the John Centers play. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That'll get you across the street, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Jesus. Um. So that sucks. So that's okay, so, so, so that sucks. And like he sent, and it was like, uh, I, I can't imagine how this would be secret. Well, maybe he'll sue me for whatever. Uh, but he, but it was, it was his demands were like, sure, you can go ahead with it, but since you're going to be using my name, it's going to be associated with me. I need to approve every script. And I want 50% of the movie rights. Like these demands were like, 
work like nobody's going to approve my scripts except um, the editors and uh, the CIA, which is enough people to be approving right. your scripts. Hell yeah! So do you? So you literally are vetting the story through the CIA, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Every every issue. Okay. Is through the CIA. Crazy. All right, go on, and then we'll uh, talk about that. Go on. And so, uh, so we said, oh, we'll just change the name. And then <laughs> all right, the story's over. And then, uh, so then we searched and searched and searched for names. Um, and we just, and like, I submitted a bunch. And you know, uh, I don't know. We like the the guns of Baghdad and the. Um, I don't know what were the other leading candidates like they were the Western kind of things like this, and then we the sheriff of Babylon came first. I was like Babylon's such a weird word, and, and you know it makes sense because Iraq used to be called Babylon. I mean that's sort of mm-hmm. that part of Absolutely. the world. Oh yeah, and um, and I was on I was on vacation with my family, and they're like, okay, we're gonna we think sheriff of Babylon's the best one. I was like, the only way I can make this work is if I can connect that word Babylon to it. So like I went and just started reading my Bible again reading the old quotes about Babylon. And I've, I found like this great quote, which appears in the first issue. And it's all about how like, um, you know, Babylon was this place that fell and it was full of these monsters and demons. And like, it was this, I was like, Oh, that kind of matches what I'm going for here. And then I got excited about the title. Just one quote changed my whole mind on it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I spent a ton of time trying to get that. So then, yeah, so now it's Sheriff of Babylon, but I still call it Sheriff of Baghdad. We always mess it up. Um, well, it's great, man, and it's um, God. I saw Control Room, and I, you know, honestly, I I want to know what you think of not only documentaries that have been made about our experiences in the Middle East, and obviously there's unique qualities to Iraq and Afghanistan yeah. and everywhere else that we maybe go in or not. Again, you're the expert, dude. But um, <laughs> but yeah, like how are those like? Can you can you watch those movies or are they too skewed and and you or also I can also appreciate that it's almost like hey man I work at the hardware store during my business hours the last thing I want to do on my di- downtime is think about the hardware store so it's kind of funny because you know I'm in comics now that's what I do all day long and then like I have like quiet time in the evening and I'm like let's go read something I'm like okay and I pull out my iPad and I start reading comics <laughs> I'm like what am I Good. doing. I like this is the well, most ridiculous, but I'm still that makes me feel like I did the right decision with my life. I'm like, okay, even in my off time, even tired of these, even the fact that I know every single personality behind every single book, um, I still want to read these stories and still want to see what happens to these characters, and I still see them sort of disconnected from all the politics and crap. It makes sure. me feel, whereas when I was working in the Middle East and stuff, and like I'd read stories, then I couldn't disconnect from it, and so I like had to like go away. So it makes me feel like maybe I made the right decision. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, yeah, I have, I mean, I I avoided, basically, I, I left the CIA um, in yeah, 09, I think. Okay, so, wow. Six, six, my, my son is seven now, so it was when he, uh, just like, hopefully, my, my wife had four and a half months of leave, which is nice, and I took over after that, so it was right after my son turned seven. Very cool. Um, and uh, and then I, I, I sort of, uh, I couldn't look at it, mostly because, and this is the oddest thing, I've, I've said this before, but it's like, I feel bad that I'm not participating in it. It's a feeling of guilt. Um, Understood. Yeah, is that, is that interesting? Does that make sense? I don't know. Absolutely. Well, dude, and again, you know, this is the thing. I'm going to point to fiction and I always feel like like an asshole doing that because I used to roll my eyes at some of my uh, sports talk colleagues when when they'd have Jake LaMotta in 
and be like, you know, in the film, you have this argument with Joey. And I'm like, that's the fucking film. Talk to the guy about his real life, you know. And um, in The Hurt Locker, Jeremy Remmer, you know, when he's when he's like, you know, grocery shopping and stuff like that. And you, you know, yeah, the guilt of no, I got, I got to get back there. I got to, you know, the job's not done. Yeah, and it's never done, and you, but you still feel guilty about it. It's, it's like, and it's, it's, and it's, a, it's a weird kind of guilt because it's not like a. I know they portray it in movies like, oh my god, I feel like oh, most people are dying without me. I mean, I guess that's some part of it, but I mean, if, I think if, if I'm honest with myself, like part of it's like, man, I, I like the adventure of it. I liked being. In it, I like. I liked making. It felt cool. It felt like I was making a difference. Like there's, there's some selfishness to it. I think sometimes movies portray it too uh, melodramatically. I understand. Have you, have you uh, then? Because and really, I forgive the lofty comparisons. But do you like really like look at any biographies of people like Ian Fleming? Because it's obvious that his World War II experiences, he loved the thrill, and that's when he started writing the action thrillers that he wrote. I mean, he was in military intelligence and again, fictionalized uh, in terms of, you know, the stuff I think we've seen on TV, but there is a real, you know, spy history of Ian Fleming's that did influence him creating James Bond. Yeah. I mean, when I first wanted to be a writer and I mean, you know, when I was 16, 17 and into college, I mean, my authors I liked were sort of these uh, turn of the century guys or not, but like, you know, the, the guys who came up from the 1930s and forties, the, uh, or 20s, you know, that's the Fitzgeralds and the Hemingways and the Faulkners. Sure, and then, you know, sure. the Dashiell Hammetts and the... And the, absolutely. Hemingway and Adventure Seeker. I mean, obviously out there, uh, you know, in, on war, in war zones and stuff in the Span- in the Spanish uh, Civil War. Yeah. And Hammett was a real private investigator, that's a Pinkerton man. That's right. And, and, um, and, and, and Fitzgerald, who didn't go to war, was tremendously affected by that in his whole life. Yes. And said it was yeah. like his, one of his two great regrets. That and, like, not joining the football team. He's such a weird dude. Uh, <laughs> And so, like, uh, I, I totally feel this way equivalent in his head. He's like, oh, two things are bad. Couldn't get shot at and couldn't throw a football. Or, oh, sorry, not run a football. But, um, That's awesome. Uh, but I do feel that, like, I used to say, don't never read Hemingway in your youth because I think it's bad for you. Or, you know, like Tolstoy, too. Like, he served in – I was really into Tolstoy. Sure. He served in, in um, the whatever the Sebastopol was. Um so yeah, I mean, I always wanted to. I, I I think it's good for writers to have a, had some experience in their young life. Um, I, I think maybe that's one way to do it. The other way, it's like Bukowski it and like just drink yourself into experience, <laughs> which some writers do and do very well at. Um, but I, I just have too many kids, so I can't I can't rely on that method. So I had to rely on my youth for experience. I, well, you know, that's I was doing. I was doing sports talks. So I was doing broadcast journalism. So I was writing, but writing for for radio and television. And and yeah, that was my honestly running around the convention doing short convention interviews. To me, feels like covering the World Series or, <laughs> yeah, sure. or a, a really playoff sure. playoff sports and stuff. Because you are you're hunting. You're running down the story. You're talking to people. You're getting reactions and stuff. And, you know, so, yeah, I, I, I know exactly what you mean. And it was great doing podcasting because 
the last time I had that juice was back in the 90s when I was working in sports talk. So I get it. Dude, there's no difference. There's no, I mean, people pretend there's this big difference between sports and comic books and the two kinds of journalism that cover them. But I don't see it, at least. Sure. Because, like, it's just they're, they're, they're forms of entertainment. It's just sports has – Well, and there are seasons. I mean, that's the thing. Like, these reboots and, and, and retooling of, of titles and stuff like that. It's no different than okay. There's you know spring training. We got a bunch of rookies, or you know we're going in. A, the team's going in a different direction, and you can say that about a publishing line or a book or or you know whatever. And then each writer and artist, yeah, that, those are the individual stories. So I hear you, man. Yeah, and there's a legend. There's legends who are still alive, and there's people who are tired. Legacy great story. There's legacies, and yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah. You you get it, man. There you go. Aren't we interested? Aren't, we are fascinated. Do, do you know what happened to you? This is completely. I meant to start no. with this. That's why I'm, I'm bringing it at the beginning. So no, no, please. So speaking. So the vision again was this big game changer where everyone seemed to really like it and reached out to me. Um, but Brad Melter reached out to me, and that's great. Right? He was like very nice and said nice things about it. Um, but what? And I, I, um, I don't know. I direct messaged him or or, or Twitter back, whatever. I, I, I said. I was like, you got me into this industry because literally the thing that got me into this industry was like, I wanted to go into comics a long time ago. Um, and I listened to your podcast and I listened to every origin story everyone told. And I was like, which origin story is it possible to follow that path in? <clears throat> and that's why I could tell you like what Bendis did and what um, Ruben, I, I, could, I could recite them like they're the Bible of how you did and, I like, and the one origin story I was like, okay, maybe that's possible was Meltzer telling it to you. I remember I was like on a plane. Listen, I was on the tarmac on a, to get on a plane listening to it. Wow. And he was like, I, I worked in Washington. I wrote a novel and it got picked up. And then DC Comics read it and they hired me. I was like, okay. <laughs> so four-step process. I could do that. And I literally like I listened to John, John and Brad Meltzer. And, and, and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to write a novel at night. I'm going to get it published. And DC Comics is going to read it and hire me. And that fucking happened. Yes, it did. I, that's awesome. That's crazy. Man. But it, start, well, it started nice. with you and, and, and Meltzer. And when Meltzer that's reached out to me, nice. it just felt like a, this closing of a circle. I was like, hell yeah. But, you know, Brad's, Brad's that kind of achiever that I think is humble and, and like, no, any, you know, you, you put the work in. You can do this. And that's fantastic. And I'm really glad, too, that he reached out to you because that's totally – that's Brad as well. That's there's that circle of guys. It's Johns and uh, Brad and uh, and now oh god damn it uh, from, from the real world. Uh, Judd Winnick. Uh, yeah, Judd Winnick. God bless you. Exactly. There you go. I mean, seriously, like those guys. They all knew each other in school and stuff, and they really are these like three nice guys that are very very much like, hey, good for you, man. And you know, like they're very happy that you're doing well as well. So that's that's terrific. It doesn't surprise me. And thanks, man. That's I'm glad that. Uh, Word balloon, uh, you know, kind of unlocked that uh, puzzle for you. And also, I this can't be. Oh, I, I was talking to Bendis on the phone about something where he like called me. Oh, wow! Was so, I was so surreal because I'm a huge, <laughs> I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge, huge. You know, I once. I hate him. <laughs> don't get me started. Don't, I hate don't him. Don't get me started. Um, uh, but he called me on the phone, and I listened to every Bendis tape. <laughs> like. You, I remember. I'm. You probably remember this too. When Hickman wrote into the Bendis tapes to ask about dialogue tips, he's like, he was, he was asking like, what's the difference between a dash and a dot 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 in terms of how it sounds? Holy shit! I don't remember that. That's fantastic. And you, and he had just gotten like some, and, and Bendis was like, oh, this guy's ready. He, he hadn't done the big gigs yet, but he'd gotten famous for the the first thing, the designed thing. Nightly news. Nightly news. Yeah. 
I love Nightly News. Yeah. Well, I was, I was, all my comic tapes were through Around Comics and you and the iFanboy guys, and you guys were singing the praises of that. So I was listening to I'm a Yeah, we did. Really, all three shows really were like, are you reading this John Hickson thing? It's like, yes, it's amazing. <laughs> I know. We really were. We were all, I mean, yeah, I love it. You guys were ahead of that. You guys were so, you guys were ahead on Jason Aaron. You guys were, um, uh, you, you guys introduced me to a lot of people before they became sort of the backbone of the industry. That's nice. Well, you know, I mean, gee, well, it, you know, it's kind of like we, we got to see the Beatles in the Cavern Club. <laughs> These guys are great. I don't know what the deal is, but they're good. <laughs> but, but when Ben is called me, we saw, I was so surreal yeah, to please. be like, I'm on the phone with him after having listened to all this stuff. And I literally said to, to I'm out because I had a fanboy out first. Like I was like, wait, I know we have business to talk about, but first I have to get some up. So I was like, do you remember that time on Word Balloon where you said this? I was turned into total. Uh, oh, that's great. Oh, thanks, man. That's really nice. Well, you know, that's that's kind of like the reinforcement to those guys in terms of like, oh, people do listen to John. That's good. <laughs> Which is good. Oh my god, yeah. Bendis on work, dude. You the Bendis tapes kept me. That was my thing when I was like driving home from work. It was Bendis tapes. I don't know why, but like always calm me down. I was like, all right. That's awesome. You know, okay. seriously. Well, because we did cut. I mean, Christ, they were like four hour marathons, especially in the early days. Oh, yeah. And, and um, you know, honestly, that was just dumb luck. I mean, really, that like we happened to like, like connect at the right time. And I, I was between jobs. Um, 2000, at the end of 2005, I got fired from my sports talk, really? uh, my last sports talk job. And I spent like, you know, like about 14 months working freelance and not making a lot of money. And finally, I'm like, all right, I guess I'll be a manager at a Starbucks until I get back in radio. <laughs> and really, I did that for three months and then finally got into uh, the company that I've been at for the last nine years. But yeah, so I had a lot of time. And really, in that 2006, early 2007 period, um, it was really easy to you know, just spend time and really get to know these guys. And Brian and I, you know, just like the same stuff and he was available and he really was excited about podcasting and thought it was fun. So then, yeah, we just started doing, and also he's like, you know, do you mind doing it at night? And I'm like, no, I don't care. I'm, I'm, un I'm unemployed. I don't mind. So uh, here I am, you know? <laughs> so that's, that's how the meta stamps happen. And I just read through his early Marvel stuff. Um, Cause I was looking for influences for things. Oh my God. It's so good. It's like ridiculous. Oh, yeah. And he was so experimental back then with like, the mm -hmm. stuff like we don't see enough of that in comics. I feel any days. Those first of those like early aughts. Like he was like, okay, let's do an issue with you know a different artist on every page, and the dialogue disappears and it comes back. And or we do Jessica Jones has those famous things where he's just like, let's do a double page splash. We just go close up on her. And I can't imagine selling that to an editor today and being it would be such a tough sell. Um, well, but also what was experimental then is I mean. I was talking about this with uh, J.M. DeMatteis in the last uh, released episode of Word Balloon. I was just for, listening I, to that. Very good. That was good. And, and, and we were saying, you know, I mean, you know, decompression was a novelty 16 years ago. And honestly, I think it's been unfortunately done to death. And now it's like, you know, uh, God, I, I there is a four or five year old comic book of a very popular team. And there was a completely useless double page spread of Batman swinging across uh, the city. And I, all I could think was these stories are now 20 pages. You just wasted two pages on this double page spread of Batman that you could have easily just covered in a large panel. Fuck you. I don't care if you're a huge artist. Fuck you. You just wasted 20% of your comic book. 
Don't, don't get me started on that kind of crap, man. So, so you know, or ten percent of your comic book, I guess. No, no, two page spread's a big deal, man. And that's and that's the thing, man. I mean, it, you know, again, it was a different time, and also this was new compared to what we were dealing with, really, in the '90s and early early 2000s in terms of what was normal. The you know, uh, the Tom DeFalco, Fabian Nicieza. I mean, and I don't mean these in, in disparaging ways. Just like those were like kind of regular writers. Jam, uh, you know, Mark was one of those guys as sure, well. You know, sure. so whatever. Uh, you know, I mean, again, it's just it's a different time. But but you're right. So uh, back to yeah, your Brian story. There's, but I don't, that's a, right. I don't have that standard by Brian. But I would <laughs> engage. I, I, this whole decompression thing, I, I find it fascinating. I, I don't know. If I write decompressed or not decompressed, I feel like those guys are more an influence on me than the old style. But I try to mix it up. Like sometimes I, I mean, because you need that sense of time passing, so you have to do these sort of montages. Like they, sure. they do t- time passes so much better in old comics than it does in modern comics. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I think a lot about that in terms of like stretching time with the panels and how they did that. Um, but I don't well, I don't I see that problem. Like in Bendis's early work, I think. It's and not that his his new work is is very good as well, but I mean just in terms of the revolutionary stuff he first came up with, it, it I, I mean I'm sure everyone saw the decompression, but there was so much words and there's so much story and there's so much atmosphere in the issues that you got sucked into it and you didn't feel it. To me, I didn't feel the decompression as much as I do well, to other people. Sometimes. Brian knows what he's doing. The problem was it then became the norm, and you've got a lot. And this is what what, what Mark uh, Dimatteis and I were talking about was that you've got a lot of people that don't do it well, that are also doing it thinking that should be the norm. And also there is more of an effort now to write for a five issue trade than there is to, you know, tell the classic, all right, we're going to finish this story in two or three issues, but we've planted the seeds already for the next story. You know, the Denny O'Neill. Have you read that DC book of comics? Yeah, where he has the Paul Levitz board on it. Right, exactly. Yeah. That's what it was, the Paul Levitz board. And yeah, you know, you've already, you've, you've uh, buried plot plot c or plot three in plot a or plot one and so there are there are at least the beginnings of it right away in in the first issue of the first story but yeah you know that and then each you know each story slowly moves up as the first story gets resolved and that's you know that's fine and i think people you know i think it's i think it's a valid choice and also by the way you got Dan Slott and guys like that that can write great one shots. Jason Aaron just has done it a couple times already in the Star Wars. Book. He's the master. Uh, He's the master. You know, and Slot Slot's been writing. Slot's great at a two issue story and stuff. So guys can do it. Um, and I also understand the need to write for a trade. It's just that that it seems to be the norm, and there are so many mediocre stories that well, I'm sorry, it's five issues and so be it. And then it's like, yeah, but I got to be honest. It was a competent story, but not trade-worthy. There's no reason to collect this other than, well, that was, those were the last five issues. And then when it takes five months to tell a single story and you're really only getting two and change a year, yeah, then I think you know that's when people get frustrated, I think, as a reader with decompression. If they're not, as you say, being entertaining in each issue. I can guarantee you, in the case of Sheriff of ba- uh, Babylon, it's an it's an eight issue mini, right? Twelve. It's a it's, it's, oh, it is, it's oh it's twelve. It's a twelve issue first season that's already been renewed, so it'll be. Oh, that's great! Yeah. Oh, good. So it's, it's going to be a big sixty issue, seventy issue run, whatever. That's excellent, man. Oh, I'm really glad to hear that. Wonderful. But that's the thing. I mean, you're writing a single story, and fine. You you've told us this is a single story, and at least season one will end with issue twelve. Yeah. Um, 
again, there are just other ones that don't work that way. The Vision is a very compact story, and I don't know, you know, do you? Uh, it's it, obviously, I think it's uh, been doing well, so you know, it's it's going to continue as an ongoing. Uh, yeah, yeah, the Vision is indefinite ongoing. Yeah. Wow. Well, I got to tell you, man, this first story, like I said, you know, ridiculously interesting, and well, uh, again, let's let's continue with Sheriff of Babylon. Uh, first, I, I, I know I like talking this. Um, I mean, we can talk about my stuff. Oh, sure. But uh, I love talking this this format stuff because that's all I oh, yeah, speak yeah, about. Yeah. This. No, no. And um, I don't disagree. Like, I love that Paul Levitz chart where he does the people. I think it's like Chris Claremont also is one of the big people who invented it. But makes sense. Sure. And then, so I mean, I I remember just growing up that was just kind of classic Marvel storytelling too. Yeah, and I can't do it. I don't know how to do it. I've like experienced like I. I embrace it. Like I was talking to some editors. I was like, we need to do this more often. See, if people don't know, I feel like I need to give some background. The idea is like you have three plots always running at once. You have an A plot, which takes up, say you're working with most comics are about 20 pages. You have an A plot that takes up 16 pages and you have a B plot. that will do three pages and you do a C plot and that'll be one page. And literally like you can chart it out like that. And then your A plot goes away and your B plot becomes the big one. And then the C plot moves up to the three page slot and another thing opens up. And if you look at yep. Paul Levitz, like literally put a chart out of what, it, what, what they were. And you can, in that Denny O'Neill book, in the yeah. Denny O'Neill, how to write, if you haven't, if you're, I used to listen to this when I was, when I wanted to be a writer, if you want to be a comic book writer, buy the Denny O'Neill book on, com- on writing comics. It's, it's fantastic. Um, it's a little old school, but because it's old school, there's stuff that, that there's techniques that people don't use anymore. And that can, really spice up modern comics. That's really interesting to hear. And I would also say, because again, this is something that Mark and I talked about. Um, I just think when you're, when you are limited to eight pages or five pages in an anthology, as you know, too, when you did your time warp story, yeah. um, it forces you to, you know, think about, all right, how do I convey this in the, in the least amount of, you know, real estate? you know, page real estate and panel real estate, and you've got to give three-dimensional characters and you've got to give an interesting enough plot and solution. And that's the thing. I I think, you know, sometimes it almost seems like five issues might be too much for, again, some of these stories. I can unfortunately talk about uh, some very big uh, uh, heroes right now that will be wrapping up their stories, I'm assuming, you know, as they hit issue 50 or 52 or whatever (laughs) at DC. And it's like... I'm sorry. This is a bloated story, and it's been taking way too fucking long. And I and I just don't care. And and it's mm-hmm. like even the novelty of what is being experienced in the book is interesting. But again, should have really should have wrapped up in six. And and you know, I I don't I don't buy how long it's taking. I, I'm like sorry, it's just not my thing. How about that? <laughs> I, 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 I mean, it's, aren't you a bad time? I'm always shitting on DC when I'm talking to you. <laughs> I, uh, I agree with your point, but I don't agree it's endemic to DC. I think it's it's endemic to all of comics. Uh, I would agree with it. I absolutely. Oh, by the way, dude. Oh no, there are run the gamut. Um, there are several. There's a big one that loves to grab old licenses, and I love the heroes and concepts that they grab. And all their stories take way too long. Way too long. I, and they got good people writing and drawing them too, and I think it comes from editorial in terms of no, this really needs to be five issues. Sorry. See, but what, what I think, like, I think people lose the sense of stakes in those kind of things, and I don't. So I don't think it's like an idea of compression or something. It's like if you don't keep your eye on the ball of making sure that there are huge emotional payoffs and that your 
that the threat of something is affecting your characters, um, then you lose, then you lose the issue. You lose the reader. It's like, doesn't matter if you're compressed or not. If, if the story takes place over 52 story beats or one story beat, like if it's uninteresting, it's uninteresting. I mean, like, yep. um, I mean, like the opening scene of the Godfather, you know, the wet, the, the wedding and that, I mean, that, Absolutely. What that takes what 20, like a, like a half an hour for that wedding to go through. Right. Like that's compressed storytelling. Like, you know, it, they could have had, you know, if this was, um, uh, like was it on like a Roy Thomas story? It would be like they're at the wedding, the mob is there. You know, um, panel one, you know, panel panel two would be like uh, <laughs> they dance, oh, they leave, and then it's like it's like you know it, it takes one page, but but that that unspools so well. But you, the entire time you're aware of the stakes and you're aware of it sucks you in just like those old Bendis comics do. So I, it, to me, it's not it's not compression versus non compression. It's just I think. I think sometimes people write scared. They're scared of of writing the big stories they want to write. Because I talk to a lot of a lot of writers who have these fantastic stories, and they're just with editorial and with all the pressures and everything. I, I don't know. Maybe, Agreed. maybe I'm I, wrong. I, I, I mean, it's an arrogant. No, thing but to say. I say arrogant stuff. I'm sorry. Well, it seems like some of these guys, when they do their creator own stuff, are able to tell a very competent story, and that's the thing. I do think that there's a there's definitely a tug of war with some creators. It's not everybody. Um, and I don't even think it's anything of like malice. It's okay, I'm trying to please these bosses because they're paying me a nice check up front to do Hero X. And, you know, that's fine. And and they know they're the caretakers of the character. So I do want their input and I do want to tell a good story. But then sometimes, again, like you, like you just said, maybe they lose confidence in their own story and they don't fight hard enough for it and or feel they can. And, um, you know, and I also know some guys... You know, Jesus, I mean, it's no surprise, you know, Colin Bunn got frustrated. And I don't know if it was fans or editorial, but, you know, with Aquaman and stuff. And, I, you know, I thought he was writing a very competent Aquaman story. And, again, I don't know if it was uh, – I don't know how much of it uh, his story was coming from editorial. And, I'm, and I don't expect you to comment because that's not fair or unless you want to. But, I mean, it's <laughs> just I, – I, I, I don't know. I mean, I just – I felt for the guy. I really felt for the Colin guy. Colin writes I, every book in comics. And that's the thing. Yeah, I mean, okay. it's like – that's what I'm saying. He's not a shitty writer. No, Colin So he doesn't great. need that. And same with Charles. You know, Charles is writing every book. Yeah, the books that Charles Solis is writing, Colin Bunn is writing. That's right. <laughs> I remember we went to the, the first the DC retreat, and they announced everyone's book and put them up on a big old screen. And like, you know, like I, I had two, one and a half because I had Grayson and Omega Man, and Colin had mm-hmm. four. And it was like another book by Colin Bunn. <laughs> I was like, what? How could yeah. you possibly do this? I hope down the line you get to go to a Marvel uh, retreat. And I would love to hear as much as you can say in terms of just the subtle differences and not to rank one against the other in any negative ways, but just in terms of, yeah, like whatever, whatever you can share in terms of how it's a different experience, because I, I, I would love to hear that. I saw pictures from the last Marvel retreat on bleeding, the bleeding. Have you heard of this site? Bleeding cool. <laughs> yes, I have heard. Oh, of that's it. interesting. Um, <laughs> I haven't. Yeah. With, but I just, was it New York? Was it the daily news or the New York Times? It was one of the New York newspapers it was something, that had pictures. Seeing Tanahasi Coates at a retreat, I don't think I'd be able to talk, honestly. I understand. I would. Well, he 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 likes. He's tweeted about too. He's a big Vision fan, but um, but he. Oh, that's great. He's so intimidating to me to to I, to be in a room with a guy who just won a Genius Grants and um and a Pulitzer and National Book. I was like, whoa. I can't believe that's who they have at the I mean, I, I mean, well, and when he was when he was named to be the writer of Black Panther, a podcaster that I know is like, yeah, whatever. 
It's like, you numbskull. I'm like, do you realize, that, like, you know, that's like, hey, uh, I don't know if you know, but Norman Mailer's going to write a comic book. <laughs> you know, it's like, wow, <laughs> that's interesting. Well, I, the DC retreats are that way, too. I'll be sitting down, and, you know, Scott Snyder will be sitting next to me, and Paul Levitz will be across the way, and sure. Brian Azzarello will be, I mean, the I, last is, uh, uh, Brian and I got in a, I said some really stupid thing, which I can't repeat in front of Brian, for embarrassed, and. Did he hit you? He looked like he was going to hit me. Uh, he punched Norton in the gut one time because Norton's like, he's like, why are you intimidated talking to me? And he's like, I don't know, because, you know, you're, like, scary. And he's just like, let's talk sports. You like sports? He's like, yeah. So he, he talked college basketball. And he shoved him again because next time we talk college basketball, he's like, all right. <laughs> Thank you. That's what he's like. He's very direct. <laughs> like, he's sees into more. your soul. And I made some little mistake and, like, the problem with is when when I made the mistake in conversation, like I would immediately apologize for it, and the last thing he likes is apologies. So like I had nowhere to go, right? Because he's like, <laughs> like, don't fucking apologize. You believe what you said. I was like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> is now the time that we fight? <laughs> I was in the CIA. Um, so uh, yeah. So I mean, the DC ones are intimidating too. Um, but Tennessee Coates, that would be something else. Yeah, a lot of good people. And I Marvel too. I mean, there's big, big, good writers uh, happening at those retreats. That's awesome, man. That's very funny. But that's great that Coates even likes uh, the Vision. It doesn't surprise me, dude. It's you know, damn. I mean, it's just really. I love, I love the story. And truly, I look forward to every issue. It, 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 it is my favorite Tom King book. I can say that comfortably. Oh, thanks, man. I, I, I love uh, writing it. Um, it's very fun to write. And, and I, I work on it with uh, two brilliant creators, uh, Gabriel Walta, who does the pencils and inks, and Jordi Belair, who does the colors. Um, and I feel that my scripts are not as good as the comic book that per- gets produced. And I get everyone tweeting at me, oh, what a great thing. I was like, oh, you have no idea how much these – I'm propped up by this the gorgeous art. Um, I can't, Gabriel's doing stuff where like I feel like I got Dave Gibbons in 1987 – um, I understand. Yes. He just, he does these like small emotional moments and these like, uh, his backgrounds are amazing and the line work is incredible. He just, he does, he does like, I, 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 I got, he was assigned to me. I didn't pick him or anything. Um, our editor, Will Moss, who's a fucking genius and is going to run comics someday. Um, uh, I, and, uh, so I'll suck up to him as much as I can. Uh, he 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 put the, he put the team together, and I had read his Magneto stuff because I like Holland stuff, and I thought, well, this guy's pretty good. Um, but you know, his figures were it, 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 it wasn't the normal style. I was like, I don't know if he can do this vision thing. And I saw the first thing, I was like, oh my god, he's the absolute wonderful, most perfect person to do this. Um, he somehow captures these great horror moments and these great haunting. Just the same way Gibbons does in not to compare myself to Watchmen. But, God forbid, no, I don't want to do that. But I, uh, but that, that's the emotion I get, that, that kind of content of like, it's just, it seems slightly cartoony, but it seems very real. I can't describe arts. Like, well, it's subtle, it's, it, but it is, it's subtle horror. I mean, that's the thing, both guys, and I, and I know what you mean in terms of the Watchmen thing, because yeah, it's just really subtle. And again, I think a lot of it too uh, goes to Jordy too with the, 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 the color choices. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, I think... Um, no, like you said, it it just you, you there are quiet moments of emotion. It's you know Virginia's clenched fist as she's you know freaking out in this last issue. 
um, and and <laughs> and previous issues as well, and also the kids. I mean, it's got it. You know, it Vin and you know Vin going nuts at school, and uh, yeah. uh, you know, and Viv's emotional journey. I mean, that's the thing, man. I, I lo- again, it's an old science fiction trope of giving robots emotions or or however they process human human interaction uh, to them to with them and amongst themselves. And um, that's the great thing. It's a great comment on human behavior. And um, it's a very elegant, like, sci-fi horror story. No, it's great, man. And that's that's why I can't imagine how many – is there two more p- chapters to this story or one more chapter this, to this story? So the mis- – if you, so if you've been reading – I don't know if you've been reading. But the, um, it, it keeps hinting at that, that there's a big sort of um, apocalypse coming. I don't know what you call it. But uh, that that, that – um, that vision's going to kill everybody, basically, in the Marvel universe, almost. Um, and that that the, that storyline wraps up at issue twelve. Wow. Okay. Holy so, cow! So it's a whole big story. All right. So that because, that, yeah. that arc that because I didn't I didn't want it to be, uh, um, I didn't want it to be in depth. Like I feel like I'm dropping these hints, and it's like you know, in the first issue, I said like a house burns down and kills the neighbors and that stuff. And I didn't want it to be like, okay, and this is going to pay off in 30 issues and I have no idea where I'm going and people think I've, <laughs> um, you know, and the example everybody uses is Lost. Um, but like that idea of like you, you, when you, when you watch the first season of Lost, you're like, if they know where this is going, this is going to be the best series of all time. And then you get to, to, to last season, you're like, oh, they didn't know where it was going. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. And honestly, I think. That uh, this is something I discuss with a lot of the image creators because they do have interesting concepts, but it's like you get to that midpoint of this ongoing, and like you said, um, I always would use the Vertigo, the old Vertigo comparison, and say, uh, "Well, Brian got a hundred issues for a hundred bullets. That ain't going to happen again." <laughs> and you'll know because then Jason only got seventy issues for Scalp, and you can literally kind of count back. And now I'm kind of like, uh, you know, maybe you know four or five trades. 30 issues, uh, you know, somewhere between 24 and 36 issues might be uh, good. And and other than that, you're just kind of, you know, you're asking a lot of your audience to stay, stick around. And I do. I have this conversation constantly with the Revival guys, you know, Celia and uh, Norton. I talked I about Celia it with Rucka. Yeah, I know you know. And <laughs> and, uh, and Rucka and I were talking about it with Lazarus. I mean, that's the thing. These are big, ambitious ideas is there enough story there to really cover that much time? And also, like you said, are you giving your audience enough payoffs and closure? Because I think even Criminal and uh, some of the stuff that Brubaker has done, um, you know, they were they were little stories that built up to a big idea. And certainly you could say that as well about Azzarello and 100 Bullets. And Jason, I think, was able to do that in Scalped. You know, not every story is able to really do that well, though. I think. I mean, I think of like why the last man. Where in the first one, you think it's going to be this mystery about why all the men died, and the mystery basically never gets solved. There's kind of, a, and he even admits it right. at the end, like he's like, oh, something, something happened, but it's like it becomes all about the emotional journey and like that magic trick he does to pull that off. I don't know if I'm capable of doing that. Where it became like the mystery of the first issue, which is the best first issue ever written, in my opinion. Um, be- became lost you didn't even care about that mystery anymore you just cared about this right. character you cared about his journey um that's amazing i just don't know if i'm capable of that the mystery of the first issue will be solved by the 12th issue and then we'll that's cool and then and then from there it's like a, it, it, we're gonna try to top everything we've done again 
Uh, Interesting. But, wow. But, but uh, I, I, maybe the model is, is, is preacher. I don't know if that's a better model because I think of all of those trades as being very self-contained in their own way. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that overarching theme of trying to kill God. Um, so maybe yeah. that's – I feel like every, every writer in comics wants to do their preacher, wants to do their 75-issue preacher run where they get to shoot God the head at the end. Spoilers. Oh, shit. Sorry. <laughs> um, well, that's cool. Uh, but, but, I, uh, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's a good point about these closed stories, open stories. Very, very cool. I got to be honest, man. I, I, I kind of don't give a shit about the Robin War. I mean, I, and, I, and I've seen some spoilers Watch in uh, that website called you. the – I know, and that website called Bleeding Cool. Uh, too many Robins out there, bud. I mean, I appreciate the idea of we are Robin. I really do. Well, well I think it is, which ro- it's a fun, which Robin it just would you speak to me because I'm an old man? Which ro- right now, there's four Robins. W- would you eliminate one of the Robins? You think this? Who are the? Are, oh, so yeah. So we got Damian, Dick, Tim, Jason, and Jason. Um, well, my problem is I would keep all of them separately in terms of. Jason and, and Dick have obviously moved on to be their own men. Yeah. Um, I have no problem with Tim and Damien coexisting. It's that, I, I again, when we got to We Are Robin and, you know, whatever, it's like, I, I don't I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. And when it was, oh, there's a Robin War, I don't even know what the hell's happening in the Robin War. Are Dick and Damien and Tim uh, and Jason all fighting for the Robin mantle? <laughs> Robin War has come and gone. Yeah. See, there you go. I don't even know. Oh, so, did we win? We won. <laughs> They're all dead. Yay! We replaced <laughs> What happened? What was the outcome? Honestly, spoil for me. What happened in the Robin War? Unless you don't want it for people who might be trade waiting. Uh, no, I don't mind. You can spoil. I'll spoil. Uh, what is the consequences of the Honestly, what was the point? What was the... Forgive me, but really, what was the point of the story? I thought... Uh, so, uh, the, the idea... That... <laughs> well, because I saw the Court of Owl thing... That clearly, uh, you know, Dick is, you know, and I, we knew that anyway, that, yeah, that there's this d- destiny that's tied with the Court of Owls with Grayson. Is that part of the the Robin War or no? Yeah, that came out of the Robin War. So, so basically what had happened was um, in Robin War, a there's this, there's this movement of this We Are Robin. This is a nice series that Lee Bermejo is writing. Um, yes. And I love Lee, by the way. I think Lee's an awesome writer and a, an amazing artist. But go on. I hate Lee Bermejo because he's too goddamn handsome. I don't. He's a nice kid as well. He's, he's, I stand next to the cons and I can't take it how much people ignore me. <laughs> it's terrible. No, it's, it's I suddenly become a horrible schlubby blob standing next to the beautiful Deeper Mayo. I understand. Um, uh, no, uh, and so uh, so you got this street level street movement level movement of, of, of characters. One of them one of them does it kind of like Civil War. It opens um, goes too far and accidentally uh, kills a cop. Okay. And uh, and that so, that causes Gotham City to outlaw this Robin concept—the idea that people who are can, can be 16 years old and running around on rooftops and trying to be vigilantes is ridiculous. And they make it they make it against the law, and they go out and they start arresting anyone dressed as Robin or any sort of affiliation with Robin. Okay. And um, and sort of all these kids and, and all these and all these and the original Robins find out about this and they come back and all these kids are being arrested and. It goes on like that, and what what basically happens is like the the, the original Robins have to deal with the fact that they sort of inspired this movement, and what are they going to do? Or they, and especially Dick Grayson, who I write to Grayson. Sure. Um, the real Robin, but go on. Yeah, the real Robin, <laughs> the best Robin. 
That's the absolute best Robin. You're right. The first and best. The first absolutely. and best and definitive Robin. Indeed. Um, and uh, do they all put the outfit back on? No, no. They all fight in their own different ways. It was fun. See, and that's see that would have been interesting to see them all. Not that I want to see Dick in the short pants again. Oh, but, he but so I mean. Good. But the short, well, the the short give- pants aren't continuity anymore. He has this other Robin costume. Yeah, I understand. That's that's a crack of shit as well. I got I got I got fifty years of comic books to argue that point. <laughs> they never They never. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, he was in the short. I tell this to everyone. This is my thing. I tell this. I, I say the new Fifty Two is does not erase the old continuity. It it happened, and then Flashpoint happened, and so they're all connected. So yeah, Dick used to be in the in the pants in my mind. I, I hear you, man, and I respect that. No, you know, honestly, I would say uh, put, put Dick Grayson in the Earth 2, a modified version of the Earth 2 Robin outfit, which I think is a great outfit. I do, too. I like that outfit, too. Neil Adams? You know what I'm talking I about. I know exactly what you're talking about. With the long- boy. Dude, of course. Um, <laughs> dude, no, I've had so many arguments over this, this Robin costume. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like adult, there is a, there is a way to do a good adult Robin costume, and I like Red Robin's outfit. I like Damien's outfit. Well, how do you feel about underwear? How do you feel about the underwear situation <laughs> in the comics? I've been thinking about this. I've been thinking about it a lot lately. But like, my kids are uh, you know one, six, and seven, and they're just getting into superheroes, and right. uh, and the superheroes that are like the books that are prepared to them have like the sort of the Garcia Lopez. Um, Dick Giordano versions of the characters. Sure, classic. Like the classic, wearing the underwear. And they love them. And they identify them and think they're awesome. Do they, and do they have a problem? Do they go, hey, why does the guy have underwear outside of his pants? No. No, they don't. Yeah, they don't. Of course they not. Don't. Of course not. No, the only people that have a problem with that are people that have their own, like, psychoses that they can't, you know, justify. And it's like, have you people never seen trapeze artists and that's what those outfits were clearly based on. It is so basic that it comes from a circus costume background. And I and I maybe the circus is an antiquated thought, and it probably is. But I don't understand the the level of embarrassment and this. Oh, and also let's make it armor. It better not be. Uh, it can't be a costume. It better be armor. Oh fuck you! <laughs> I'm sorry. That's bullshit. <laughs> Well, you wanted a full metal conversation, Tom, and there you go. I mean, honestly, I just – it's ridiculous. And by the way, Superman doesn't need armor. He's fucking Superman. I'm sorry. The the Man of Steel movie. I mean, that's the other thing. They they make these changes, and it's so important for the comics to do this. And then what does TV and movies do? Uh, can we go back to the basics? Yes. Thank you. Hey, look at this. Look, Jay Garrick is back in his Golden Age outfit, and nobody thinks it looks silly. Good Christ. I'm sorry. Boy – Tom, you open a can of worms. No, and no, I, I, clearly, I, I agree with you on the underwear. I like the underwear. I like the original Jake Garrett costume. I like all that stuff, and I think it's. <laughs> I um, I mean, I think we got to make the best comics we can make with what we have, um, but I do miss it. Yeah. Well, and that's honestly, I I don't I I guess we're stuck with these new designs for better or worse. I suppose. I hope somebody has a good idea. And uh, and by the way, I can go across the street and say. Uh, can you leave Captain America's wings on his goddamn cowl? I mean, you know, seriously, it's like, otherwise it's like, all right, I guess. You really think that it looks cooler? All right, fine. Who cares? I'm so happy that the Flash has his uh, wings. Yeah, I, his, I mean, I write for both companies, so I feel like I can be somewhat neutral in saying they both have their problems in this particular <laughs> area. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. There's just this need of, 
like messing with stuff. And I'm sure that in, in, in the case of DC, a lot of it might have been that, hey, we can trademark this stuff without having to worry about, you know, I, I, I'm sure it is. I, I, have, I have to believe it's a legal thing because they just don't want to, you know, keep paying uh, Schuster and Siegel's grandsons and granddaughters, um, you know, for the, for, the, for the design of Superman. That's just my guess. I mean, that, but that it, could be, I have not heard that in terms of the people I've talked to about it. I've, no one's ever raised that to me. I mean, everyone's raised that they just think it looks, it looks more modern and it's just sort of more accepted by younger generations. And that's it, that the, um, I think it's a crock of shit. And that, that, <laughs> I mean, I think the, the argument on the other side, I'm not saying I'm making is, is, is sort of that like, the reason that they had to look that way in the old days was because of the, the, the old kind of coloring and the old kind of thing. And you just need these sort sure. of colors to pop in a certain way. And then we have this modern day coloring and modern things. So we need to make the suits look a little bit more um, modern. I don't know, whatever, whatever it is. But, uh, but looking know, at my I, kids I, and how much they relate to that, I, it makes me rethink all of that stuff and think that maybe, I don't know. It's tough. I, it's think, tough. I think Brian Hitch is capable of making a modern superhero and having underwear on the – I mean I think his JLA designs, frankly, are much warmer than uh, what Jim Lee originally came up with. I, I'm sorry. I, I, there I said it and I, and I stick by it because I don't uh, – Jim Lee drew a perfectly fine Superman and Batman prior to him redesigning and that stuff looked modern and never looked hokey to me. So let me, let me also congratulate Jim Lee when he did have to do the original designs – it always looked modern to me. I think that's in the, in the in the hands of the artist. And also, I don't think there's anything wrong with, um, you know, we mentioned Jose Garcia Lopez and uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, and we mentioned Giordano, uh, Jerry Ordway, guys like that. I think they're very capable of still doing great stuff as well. They're they're just they're just different styles, man. It's you know. Yeah, I mean, and Jim Lee's my boss, so and I and, and I'm aware of that. He's so. a very he's a very good boss, and he's. <laughs> And he's got a good eye and a good story sense. And not to mention, he drew X-Men number one, which is one of the best comics of all time. So <laughs> I understand that. Uh, I know. And hey, I love, I, love, uh, I love Hush. Hush is one of the great Batman oh, stories dude, of Hush all time. Hush is so goddamn beautiful. It's an epic. It's an epic. Uh, I was like, I had a, because in DC, this is I think in the old DC headquarters, they had a bunch of Hush pages on the wall. And I, um, who was walking by? But like the editor of the JLA was walking by, and we just stopped. We looked at a hush page, and we just broke it down. And we're like, "Okay, look at like this angle here." And this, and the storytelling was so perfect. It was three panels, and it got Batman from rooftop to rooftop. And I think Catwoman was with them, was it jumping and spinning. And I was like, "This is just perfect comics. You can't do better." Agreed. And the single image, and I remember uh, it being sold as like a giant piece of art you would put on your wall. That great shot of both Catwoman and Batman with their masks off, kissing. Oh. And it's just this amazing iconic image. It was great. It's beautiful. It's a it's a moment in time that absolutely it's a huge comic book moment. Continuity, you know, you can swoop it away with continuity, but the story still remains, and they're going to keep republishing it because Hush is that kind of amazing comic. So Neil Adams, you know, I mean, his a lot of his greatest uh, images from a continuity standpoint, shit never happened or whatever, or it happened pre Flashpoint, uh, but they're still amazing. I saw. Did you see it today on Facebook? Um, for issue 50, I want to say, of Batman, uh, Neil kind of redid um, his uh, Dead Man. It wasn't from the original run. It was only a panel, I think, in the original run. But when they reprinted the, the original Dead Man story in the 80s, he did new covers for a lot of the big moments. Mm-hmm. And it's that moment when Boston Brand is dead and his 
the dead man ghost is looking at his body or, you know, his body is there on the floor and Boston's just looking up to the sky screaming. No. <laughs> and, and they, and um, Neil drew it for Batman and Walt Simonson uh, inked it. And Walt had it on his Facebook page today. And it's just incredible. Oh, it's yeah, unbelievable. I mean, it's, you know, and yeah, obviously it's going to fit Scott's story really well. So, uh, you know, pretty cool, man. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, I want, so I wanted to say about like the new costumes, I think it's worth experimenting with the costumes. Cause if you just let them go and let them be iconic, I think it, um, I, I think it is worth trying to move them forward. And like, like I feel that, that, that speaking of Neil, like, like his redesign for Tim Drake Robin was better than the original Robin costume. Like, I, I have no problem with that. With, with the, with the, Get the long pants and the and the cape that has yeah. the black on the inside and the, and the the stick. So I mean, I, I think I think you still have to experiment. You still have to play, but you can't throw the icons out with the bathwater. I think it's my I'm gonna say. It's like I you, guess you, you got to move. I don't know. I have many thoughts. I don't about. know, man. I just I do think that like really. I mean, even you know you can call it armor or whatever, but Batman's design really hasn't changed. The only one that really and I mean I just and again even Wonder Woman, man, they put pants on her. Oops. And they seem to have realized that was a mistake. I just think Captain America and Superman. It's like it's like taking it's t- like taking Sherlock Holmes's Deerstalker hat away. And yeah, they kind of have done that on television with Elementary and Sherlock. But even Sherlock every now and then puts the Deerstalker on and stuff, <laughs> or they find a reason for him to. And it's you know, I mean, that's the thing. I they're, these these characters are bigger than their caretakers. I do love that original Captain America design. And I like the I mean I like the one that Hitch did in Ultimates too. I think it's, it was an interesting take and made it very cool. But it also made sense because that was an alternate you know universe. Yeah. I mean that's the thing like god um here's a different design on Superman that I really love Nicholas Scott for Earth too. Yeah. It looked great. I mean that's the thing man it it it, it changed. But um I I just don't I don't know man. It it just it it doesn't look right. It's funny I've got on my wall uh, before he had his stroke, you know, about ten years ago, actually, Norm Brayfogle, um, I had him draw Superman because I bought a Batman really? pen and ink uh, a piece from him, yeah. and I love it. But I'm like, you know, I, I go, have you ever done Superman? He goes, very rarely. I'm like, can you draw me Superman reacting to Kryptonite? I'll send you a picture of it when we're done talking and stuff. But I, I love it, and I mean, that's the thing. It look to me, it looks very modern, and it's a very youthful looking Superman. I, I, I you know, again, I think. Sometimes you just have to change the artist and not worry so much about the design. But, uh, you know, a fresh take can obviously come from just a fresh set of hands, as we've seen with Ramita doing uh, Superman and uh, certainly Capullo doing Batman and stuff. I mean, God, now Capullo put him right there with every great Batman artist ever. No, well, Capullo's a monster, man. I've been been looking at some of his pencils lately. I don't know why I've never seen them before, but God, they're so good. He's so brilliant in doing action and emotion and just everything you want him to do. But it would have never occurred to me to give him a Batman job. I mean, and again, not that he wasn't a great artist. It's just like, well, he's he's an image artist. I I, I can't see him doing Batman. <laughs> that's what, you, you, know? you have to think outside the box that way. I mean, that, that's what separated that book when the New Fifty Two came out. That it looked a little bit different. It looked a little bit not like the Batman you were used to. And Scott wrote it so tight that it's, it's just immediately stood apart. And it was it was good. It, you, you you can stand apart as long as you're still good. I feel like that's a stupid thing to say. I guess good comics will always sell. That's what I'm saying. I understand. So po- post Robin War, forgive me, because yeah, really, I was just kind of waiting for the Robin War to end, and then I read that you guys are leaving the book. Oh yeah, that's my big. I haven't announced this anywhere else, so I want to announce this as a word balloon, my favorite podcast, uh, except for my other favorite podcasts. 
What's your other favorite podcast? All the other tell ones me. that I tell that. To. Tell me your girlfriend. Yeah, it's like your girlfriend. Tell me the people you're sleeping. Well, with. Well, do you know I don't listen to? <laughs> I, I know, right? Your podcast is the only comic book podcast that I still listen to. I hate to say it, um, because I used to listen to every single comic book podcast. Uh, it, it, well, good ones wrapping up like a mania. I know. I did. I did. I did, I did a Loika. He's wanted to get me on before, and I was. I was. I was depressed about that. Yeah, that's too bad, man. No, that's a good show. I'm bummed. He's. I'm bummed. He quit. I, I am. I am too. Uh, I, I'm, he knows what he's doing. So I don't know what's best for his. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, hey man, it's a, it can be a grind. I respect that, man. I I understand people that are like, you know, it you, you, it kind of takes over your life. And I mean, you know, literally recording interviews and commercials and editing. That's my nine to five. So I consider this me and you hanging out for an evening other than, you know, we'd be together and, you know, be having a meal or drinking something or whatever. <laughs> for real. For real. And then, you know, really just tightening it up and tightening it up. I mean, I, I can do my job in my sleep as far as my <laughs> – and obviously some episodes of Word Balloon reflect that when you hear something twice or you hear my screw up or something like that still in the, in the It happens. It's okay. I, I like it. It makes it more human. So, but uh, no, we were uh, uh, yeah, uh, podcast. Um, but I, 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 when I listen to review yeah. podcasts now, I get not angry, but I get nervous. I get like I'm like, oh, what are they, they going to talk about my book? Why aren't they talking about my books? I get all this weird nervous energy. <laughs> um, the last podcast I forgot to listen to was was Vision Number One got Pick of the Week and I Fanboy, which is a podcast I love and I love those guys and they're all they've been very nice to me. Good guys. And I listened to it and I was like, I I, I used to like I used to I like write like unsolicited reviews on their websites and um you know and then i was like wow and i got all the way to pick of the week that's fucking great this is a very big highlight and i listen and i listen like the first like two minutes and then like they started arguing over like some stuff in the book i'm like i can't ever do this again (laughs) (laughs) Uh, there's like nothing good can come of this and this is a podcast i listen to every single i was like i I just i'm gonna put it to the side but i listen to yours because it's just professionals talking um, it's not. It's not about review. And you're such a positive kind of guy. It's, it's always nice to hear. So yeah, can, despite yeah. our despite our current conversation, I try to be. And you know, well, and and really, my caveat is, it's I gotta like the book. If I don't like the book, that's why you don't hear that creator on Word Balloon. But I and it, and, it, yeah. and it might just be I don't like the character. I mean, that's the thing. Good Christ, Val Delandro is this like genius artist, and all he was doing was X Men books. And I'm like, I hate the X Men. You hate the X Men. <laughs> I don't hate the X-Men. I just don't care about the X-Men. It was too much. It was too It First of all, Claremont, don't get me wrong, genius, was always kind of an arrogant dude to at least this fanboy. I used to work for him. So, yes, I, we talked about yeah. that actually in the past. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just wasn't a fan. And then he walked away from comics and he came back. And I, I just remember when he walked away from comics and he was kind of like shitty about it when he walked out the door. And then he came back and it's like, all right, whatever. And and there were like 25 X-Men books. And I'm like, well, you know, like I always say in the 70s, there were two doors, the X-Men door and the Legion of Superhero door. I took the Legion. I love the Legion. I'm with, I actually am with you. I took the Legion door as well. But, uh, yeah, Jeff, Jeff Johns is always right. He's like, he goes, that's why I like it, John. <laughs> he goes, I'm the same way. I'm like, there you go. Although he didn't say that disparagingly about the X-Men. But yeah, man, I don't know. The Legion just to me was just more, it was, ha- it was a happier book and it was a happier book. Until it got to be a sad book on when Giffen did the five years later. It was even which which so was awesome. awesome yeah. And it was a 180. And that's, you're 100% right, man. I mean, that's the thing. When I was a 10-year-old kid, I was enjoying those 60s reprints of Superboy and the Legion and reading those Jim Shooter stories. And they were fun. 
No. You know, they were interesting and fun. And every now and then he would throw a, like, a, you know, the death of Feral Ad and shit like that. Oh, um, he was like, he was like, then, he was like 13. He was going through puberty while he was right. Yeah. And that's, I mean, and that's the thing. It was that, that Watchmen, that post-Watchmen Dark Knight period when Giffen gave us the five year, uh, five years later. And it was awesome because, yeah, it's like, holy shit, suddenly the Legion's a really sad and like really interesting place. And just some of the, like the Sun King going crazy and stuff like that. It was just like. Or, you know, wasn't it Sun King or Sun Lord? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, he he became like this like commercial kind of surfer dude who totally sold out to everyone. Oh, I kind of thought he was more evil. And I oh, guess no, Sun I Boy. Remember. I guess not Sun. Oh, it was Sun Boy. Exactly. That's what I meant. Sun Boy. Yeah, yeah. Sun Boy. Yeah, he no, he wasn't evil. Um, he was just kind of sellout. He was yeah. He like, was like Mister Sellout. Like I'm going to sell M and M's on TV kind of guy. Oh, I'm going to have to go back and reread them. Five years later. Oh my god! Five years later. So, I mean, I feel Omega Men in my mind is just almost a big love letter to that one. <laughs> I appreciate that, and then yeah, that was that you know same period for Keith and everything. They were close enough to it. Yeah, guys. So, oh, so, 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 so tell me, like, all right. So as you're closing out, uh, but we started. We stepped on your big. Oh news. my big news! Oh sorry, I get distracted. But um, uh, yeah, my big news is I'm I'm leaving Grayson after issue. I wrote my last 16 is my last issue that I wrote, and 17 is my last issue where my name is on the book. And 17 comes out? Uh, in like three weeks. Uh, it comes out in, I guess, the end of February. Oh, wow. Yeah. Holy cow. So post-Robin, post what, what is going on in, in Dick's life? Um, at the end of Robin War, as part of, as part of that plot, he sacrifices – basically everything is about to go to hell, including that Damien's about to be killed by the um, Court of Owls. And it, it, Dick sacrifices himself because I mean the, the court of owls from its inception, from its original mission, wanted Dick to see sort of be the ultimate talon. He was the yes. gray son of Gotham. Yes, yes, the gray son, absolutely. And so the the whole Robin War twist to spoil it for everyone was that that the the whole thing, the plan, the whole thing, the the war was just to lure Dick into a position to get him to join the court of owls because they, from birth they wanted him to join and was in a sort of Batman took him away from that destiny. And they're trying to bring him back because he has sort of this special role to serve with the Court of Owls. Um, and at the end, D- Dick, to save all the Robins, um, both the amateurs and the professionals, uh, where I call them the originals, um, he joins the court and he puts on a mask and says, I'm not Robin. And that's how, that's, that's how the series ends, with, with, with Dick doing what only Dick Grayson can do, which is to make the ultimate sacrifice to save his family. So wait, he put the owl mask on and said, "I'm not Robin." That's right. Yeah, that's the last. That's the last page of Robin War. Okay. So, um, and it, it did sixteen? Was that the last? Was that was the last part of that in Grayson? In sixteen of Grayson? Or no? So that story is going to be told. See, now we're hitting up against the, the secret. So I, I, this is out there. I mean, uh, um, the deal tweeted about it, but there's a new, there's a big deal thing coming this coming soon. I guess the best way to put it. Yeah, the rebirth. rebirth. The, yeah, the whole the whole retooling of the line. Yeah, and I and obviously one of the rumors is is that Dick will likely go back to being Nightwing and everything. So uh, and obviously I can't comment on any of that stuff. I understand <laughs> I do understand. Uh, no, that's I know, okay, so, I know so, I so much about it, like way too much about it. Oh, that's great. That well, no, and I would hope so because I would. I, well, actually, I don't know. Are you part of the new reboot, or you can't even talk about that? I can't even talk about that. All right, man. No worries. No, I'm. I'm. Uh, I guess I can say I'm involved in it. I don't know. But what I can say. Okay. Well, I've seen the room. I've seen one rumor that's out there, and I'm sure listeners might be slightly aware because that website, Bleeding Cool, 
is claiming you're the next Batman. Never heard of Bleeding Cool website. Is the first time I understand. Well, I didn't expect. Uh, I didn't expect to get a straight answer of after after making that comment. But <laughs> I have to acknowledge it just to let people know, as opposed to dumbass, you didn't even bring it up. Well, I've been reading about this for the last three days, man. I, I will say this: um, that the, the, when that rumor came out, a lot of people sent me nice things saying it would, it would be nice if that happened. And I can't tell sure. how grateful I am to all those people. Oh so, yeah, man. Whether or not it happens, I'm insanely grateful for the positive response very cool well that's why i was i'm like when it's official i'll I'll congratulate him that's great but i'm happy that at least you're in somebody's thoughts that if it is just a rumor that's a great rumor so very cool that's right um nice compliment absolutely so so that that that, the owl scenario and what happened to him will play out as we hit this rebirth and it'll be sort of part of that so i just got to do so grayson 16 was sort of my chance to say goodbye to the character um, because this rebirth thing was happening and, and, um, and Tim and I were have to come off the book, um, to work on a, on the bigger project of what's going to happen in the DCU going forward. Basically, I think is the best way to put, it. uh, so 16 was just, a, was just, I wanted to do something super fun to say goodbye and, and just to sum up what I was on. So I just did, I did, um, Grayson, James Bond, um, issue Adam sing a James Bond song and, um, to the to the tune of Goldfinger, uh, <laughs> I think that, that might be a first for comics to have Dick Grayson sing his own theme song. Dick Grayson went went went. Dude, it was so it was Agent Thirty Seven. <laughs> He's the man, the man. Oh man, I'm the worst singer in the world, but I like it though. Keep going. People, people really responded well, so I think people, more more comedy people should sing sing their own theme song. Well, uh, <laughs> that's but that fits. That's the great thing. Seriously, man, both of you guys need to be congratulated because it was a great run. You were great stewards of Dick Grayson, and everyone was concerned when going in. It's like, oh, don't take him out of the costume. But the great thing was. Much like in in Scott's story with Bruce Wayne, it's been fun reading Bruce Wayne all this time. And yes, I know in the most recent issue, take me to my cave. So he's coming back. And we knew he was eventually going to come back. With the beard. I love that panel. Oh, it was awesome. Absolutely, man. And I, you know, the the park bench scene with the Joker, I was telling telling Mark DiMatteis, I'm like, dude, that's like going sane. It's not. It's different. But I just love... When even even psychotic Joker, when he's trying to be normal, I think is fascinating. I mean, I, 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 what did I say? The background of that, Scott Scott, had, we talked about that scene, and I, and I I told him I was like, never forget that you did so much to set up this this scene of these two men who have such a history on this bench, not knowing each other, having this conversation that is so meaningful yep. to both of them. I was like, that is an insanely smart way. I mean, you, you had to go through two years of story to get to this one scene and to make it. I off. absolutely agree. And, I, I, and that's a story that absolutely has been like paced well and they know what they're doing. Go on. Yeah, that's exactly. And it's so good. And it was such, I, he, I remember him. He pitched it at a bat summit. Um, he pitched it to the room. Uh, he's like, look, this is, I'm going to take uh, this. Was, this was going to happen at the end of um, Endgame and uh and, and in this whole story of, of – and then the one thing that really stuck out to me when I like I had to raise my hand because it was I just – it was my first going to any of these kind of things. I had to raise my hand. He's like, I think I want to do this at the very end. And he had his all in his head that the two of them on the bench having this con- conversation. 
um, a year before it came out. And I raised my hand and said, that's the most brilliant thing. Whatever you do, just do the whole story so you can have that moment because that moment is going to be so powerful, these two characters and their connection. Because, I mean, I always think of, um, you know, the killing joke and the conversation yep. they had. Absolutely. Absolute go on. Yeah, then. right. Yep. And, and I mean, they have it, it. It's reflected in the beginning and the end. With he has it with the fake Joker, and the end with the real Joker. And just and again, it's just two people talking. But it's it's all about comics, and it's all about the emotions you go through, and it's all about these characters and Segla. And and to have done his own take on that and made it original, not Alan Moore, and and something scary and substantive. I, I'm very impressed by the whole thing. I couldn't agree more. And also the fact that it was thirty, you know, almost thirty years since Killing Joke. So I think enough time has passed. And, yeah, it's that great defenseless moment. And, I mean, I'll, for people who haven't read it, I'll just quote the, the Killing Joke conversation in terms of just when he – you know, yeah, he's just like, hey, man, we don't have to do this. <laughs> Let's – you know, really, like I'm, if you – I'll help you. I can honestly help you. And, I mean, that's – it's the great – it's honestly the only good moment of the Tim Burton Batman Returns – when Michael Keaton does the same thing and, and it's Michelle Pfeiffer and him and he's telling the cow when he's like, let's just walk away. We don't have to do this. It's, it's okay. You know what I mean? And it's this Wait, great. That's the only, moment. you don't like it when they're dancing and he, go, and he goes, do we have to fight now? And, that's and a that's, good not, that's No, that is a good moment too. You're right. But, but really, it, I, and you're right. And it builds to that, uh, you know, vo- again, it's that vulnerable moment. Another time like that, no man's land when Bruce is ready to reveal his identity to Gordon and he's like, don't do it now. Fuck you. That's, right. <laughs> That's useless. How dare you do that and stuff? And it's like, wow, this is like real moments. And you're right. I mean, and that's that's the thing that um, other people in the wrong hands, that's what's lacking in what's supposed to be a big epic story sometimes. You, you just don't – if you don't get that payoff, uh, it's, it's just another – it's another bloated story. And shame on you for wasting my time. Yeah, and and again, that's a selfish reader uh, response. But I, you know, it's not just time; it's money. It's when people work hard yep. for this stuff. Yep. I mean, a comic costs so much more more than a TV show costs these days. Hundred percent right. That if 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 you're not, you have a right to be angry if if you're getting, coming away with it and you're just like, man. Sure. Well, and I mean, that's I, I wanted to know: Have you had a chance to see uh, Batman Bad Blood? I haven't. I I was listening to the, your interview. I was like, I oh, mean, I gotta watch this immediately. Well, it's I great. saw and clips I, I, of where they go. It looks like such a good Nightwing. I can't wait. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, no, it's a great Dick Grayson story. It is. It absolutely is. And that's the. Th- and as you said, comic books are more expensive than Blu-rays and and even television now. And that's that's the reality. And 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 again, it's not. And believe me, I know this isn't your decision or any of the creators' decisions. I, I just think as that chasm widens between the price point of the big two. And these image books by these very good creators that are still managing to do it, you know, if we're going to hit that four ninety nine price point and it's five bucks compared to three fifty, good luck. And I keep saying that, good luck. Because and and the other but but the other good thing is, um, yeah. Well, then maybe they'll they'll pull back and not do as many comic books. I, we um, I was speaking with uh with uh, a guy uh last night on word balloon uh, it'll be the episode before yours and it's like who who told who told both these companies they they need to put out so many comics and i don't mean to like cost anybody their jobs but that's the thing it's like if you can only produce 40 good comics then fuck 52 produce 40 good comics 
And and the same thing with Marvel. If you can only produce thirty or forty good comics, then don't give us seventy comics. Give us good comics. And and because if you're asking five bucks a comic, it better blow you know blow my pants off. Yikes. I don't I I don't disagree, and I think it it also causes a talent glut where people are spread too thin. Yep. But um, I mean, it's tough to say because I mean, there's less professional comic book writers than there are professional football players. Um, they're probably less than there are professional bowlers. You know, it's like they're Agreed. it's such a small so to to take comics off the shelves is denying people jobs, and that's tough to do. Um, well, I can appreciate that in theory, but again, to receive those other products, I don't have to spend as much money as I do on comics. And that's the thing. It has to be worth the cost. And then you, if not, then you have to find a way to make it cheaper. And maybe maybe it's necessary to go to digital. And dig, at least digital for the monthlies. And maybe this is a better way. Here's a here's a completely random – and I know. Fuck you, John. Like you're going to solve comics. Let's solve it. We're here. I'm All a right, creator. How about this? Let's we, solve it. We'll do it today. How about the how about the monthlies go digital like and you base and you base the uh, print run on merit in terms of wow nobody expected the vision to be what it is holy fuck we got to make that into a book book and if it's just another um, hero X story that came and went all right you entertained them that's fine it really didn't move the meters to the point where this is trade worthy. Um, thank you. You, you, like I said, and keep the price point at, I would say a buck 99 a comic. I mean, this is, and I don't know how much that, that four ninety nine or three ninety nine goes into public, uh, printing and distribution. But I do know that from the newspaper standpoint, that takes up a lot of the pie. But this is, this is my thinking on, on, on the whole topic. And I think maybe we'll address what you just said too, is like the reason comics people are willing to pay for them is not for the eight minutes of entertainment you get while you read a comic, but it's for the um, hour of conversation you get afterwards. It's for the six podcasts you listen to after that. It's for going online with your friends and it's for also going to the store and talking to the comic owner there and going with your friend and having a ritual. Um, that's why people are willing to pay so much more for coffee at Starbucks than to make it at home. If there's a ritual to it and it's, and it's a thing. Um, and I, I, th I think comics have to be about, building that community and giving people a communal experience and giving them something to talk about. You can't read a comic book and be like, I'm never going to think about that again. It has to be something where you're like, I want to go online and talk to my friends. I want to listen to what John has to say about this. I want to listen to um, you know, what I fanboy or comic geek speak, whoever you want to. And I want, and I want to experience, I want to, I want this not to be a three ninety nine for the eight minutes, but I want this to be four bucks to be a member of this conversation. But I think it was already, and also doesn't sports do the same thing, and does it with uh, a less of a financial commitment for the fan? I mean, that's the thing. That I I don't disagree with anything you said. I also think in the pre-internet world, comic books were doing that, and were doing it at a cheaper price. And again, it was a different world. And I and that's the thing. I understand that. And and everything you said was valid. But again, it it is still that money commitment. Um, that you can still be a superhero fan, and this is what I was going to get into in terms of Batman Bat Blood. I mean, that's the thing. We've got superhero live-action television, ex exceptional stuff going on in, in television, yeah. exceptional films, exceptional animation. Um, the comic book has to be affordable and entertaining. And that's the, that is the question. And I, and I do think there is 
um, uh, there's a change. And I, and I, it's, you know, it's funny. We were talking before we started rolling about the changes in media. And I was telling you about the changes in radio. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I don't know. I think this, you see images, numbers going up, both the big two, because of their non-comic book product that they put out there, you could be a, a Flash fan and be very satisfied and never read a Flash comic again, at least currently, because there's a successful television show. Now, it's not always going to be on forever. Um, and you can say the same thing about Green Arrow. And there's certainly more millions of Green Arrow and Flash TV fans than there are comic book fans and stuff. Um, of course, I want there to be an excellent, and there has been excellent Flash books and excellent Green Arrow books of late. Um, but again, you have to make it affordable or I don't need your comic book through like the Flash. I'm, I'm getting it every, uh, you know, Tuesday night on, on the CW. Well, I mean, you're not going to get any argument with me that the key to the whole thing is to make quality comics. Yeah. Um, I think you have to give something, you have to do something in your comics that they can't do on the television show. It's your Starbucks. Actually, your, I think your Starbucks analogy is more apt than the sports analogy because, again, I just or, – or building a fan community and building conversation and culture beyond uh, the individual experience of reading the book itself. And I completely – honestly, Tom, I do. I agree with everything you're saying. I just think, yeah, ultimately it's got it's to gotta be affordable. It really has to be affordable. And I, and I just think at five bucks – an issue, and also again that it takes five months to tell a story. I don't know. It you know you, these digital firsts. I think there's a lot of story in there, and I think they're very successful. God, Jeff Parker's Batman sixty six. I love that series. <laughs> I love that series. Uh, Jeff, Jeff's really good. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, are you reading that at all? Or uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's very, it's very. Did, just, and, dude, know, the announcement of him and Shaner on the Hanna Barbera project. That's like the most excited yeah. I've been for a comic in a while. I their specific comic, I agree. I got to be honest, man. I, I'm not. I'm not feeling it on the on the Scoopy redesigns. Or and I love Amanda too. They're they're exceptional artists. They are genius artists. Jim Lee and Amanda Carter. They don't need need me to say that. But in fairness, but I got to be honest. The Scoopy reboot, not speaking to me. And the Flintstones, you know, change Bugs Bunny's look. It's the fucking Flintstones. God bless. I mean, and again, Amanda's just doing the job. And they asked her. And I even like it as an alternate cover. Like like Cliff Chang, I love what's going on currently in the Archies. Cliff Chang's Archies as a '90s grunge band, or whatever oh. band, hilarious, <laughs> fantastic. It's it's so awesome. That doesn't mean I want the Archies to look like that all the time and stuff. They still got to look like the Archies, and I like what um, the artists are doing because again, they're taking the regular design and and they're just kind of modernizing it a little bit. But I feel, but I feel with that stuff like when someone does a modernize uh, a different design like that you can't judge it until you read the comic because like that's it's true like too. if you're like I'm you're a like, huge fan of the Charlton's characters and Watchmen and you're like oh what the hell did he do with these guys? But he made them different characters, man. Yeah, but he would it wasn't his original plan. I mean, it, it's you have to you have to but, or, or, yeah, or, but or the 5 year later legion like that was a total <laughs> redesign. I'm like oh, you got to you got if if it's if it fits the story they're telling, it might actually. That's true. If it fits the story. And again, I mean, you know, yeah, no, I, I am willing to read. Uh, and boy, again, wow, John, you're so generous. Uh, I, I, I am willing to read about the Flintstone comic. But I just think that's the fucking Flintstones, man. It's like Bugs Bunny. Again, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a subtle difference between Space Jam Bugs Bunny and Bob Clampett Bugs Bunny in 1940. Hell, even the progression from the original design um, which was a little uglier and stuff to the Chuck Jones kind of classic 
Bugs Bunny look and everything. You know, there was there were subtle changes. Oh yeah, but no, it's, it wasn't subtle. He started out as a much more bunnyish figure than he became in the end. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Much more, well, he was much more mean in the beginning too. Right. Yeah. No, he was. He was definitely like an uglier character, both in in uh, in his character and also his design. Absolutely, that funny. See, you like this? This is good. We're just uh, like I just watched all the Looney Tunes or rewatched them with my kids. The DVDs. The DVDs. Yeah. That's fantastic. Those are amazing. And the bonus features on those, the documentaries on like Carl Starling, the musical director and all that stuff. No, I think I'm a huge fan. I think that what an amazing run. And it's too bad. I mean, television, television changed animation. And um, thank God there were guys like Hannah and Barbara that figured out, Okay, fine. Like literally it went from, okay, we give you $70,000 to produce an MGM cartoon you're getting $7,000 to make Huckleberry Hound. <laughs> and it's like, all right, uh, okay, we'll, we'll figure it out. And that's From why. From minutes to 20 minutes. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, that too. Uh, you know, well, they would be three, they would be three eight-minute cartoons in the half hour or whatever. That's true. But, uh, well, no, but then again, the Flintstones was your full 20 with Stoney Curtis. Oh, God, that's so good. I love you, slave boy. <laughs> I watch so favorite. much fun. I uh, I watched so much Flintstones when I was a kid, and like you couldn't get through my generation. Now, now my kids—I don't, I don't know if I'll show them the Flintstones. I don't know how how well aged if it's too sexist, if it's too racist. Do you do you like? Have you cut the cord, or are you cable? Are you satellite? What are, what are you at home? Oh, I have all. I, I have. You got everything. I got everything. I'm I'm too old to cut the cord. Well, I understand, and no, I've still, I still I still have cable as well. I'm so bummed that Boomerang is not on my system. Because I, I love, I it. oh man, because that's, a, no, I could, and again, obviously, those were my Saturday morning cartoons, you know, my favorite thing is the original Jetsons, and, you know, I watched it on Saturday mornings, I was, I, I think I was born the year that it was actually created, um, but it was always on, and it never occurred to me that they only literally made like 39 episodes or 26 episodes, one season, and that's it. Until they made the until they made the new ones with the shitty cat that had the springs in it in its uh, feet. Wow! Yeah, there's only one season of the. I mean, because the, the Flintstones did go like six or seven seasons. That's amazing. His job, yeah, his job in the Jetsons was to press one button over and over and over. That is the <laughs> most insane commentary. That's like some Charlie Chaplin shit right there. Absolutely. Like, who thought man. of that? Oh, yeah. like, that? That is so dark for a kid's it's, cartoon. It's a, it's a genius cartoon. Absolutely. <laughs> Uniblab. All that. No. A, and again, same thing with the Flintstones. A lot more was going on than just, hey, a fruit. <laughs> I know. And there was a, an apocalypse on the planet Earth, so they were all lifted up above the clouds. It's, there's some dark stuff happening behind the I didn't know that's why they had the Sky Pet apartments. Yeah, there's some like environmental disaster down there. That's why they never, Is that that's true? why they never go down. Yeah, I think that's true. I never I never saw that very special Jetsons where I read Judy's on the internet came with radiation started. contamination. God, what day was I researching the Jetsons Earth apocalypse? <laughs> I really didn't want to write them that day. I was like, oh, panel three. Hmm, what are the Jetsons? Oh, up George, to? George, what are we going to do? <laughs> Don't worry, honey. We're going to move to the Sky Pet apartments. <laughs> All right. Oh. Good stuff, man. I love that. Yeah, show. but I watched the Bugs Bunny with my kids, which is it's because there's <laughs> there's some like racist and uh, oh sure, and like, I'm, no, there are. I'm, well, it was the war. honestly, in fairness, it, well, part of the like the Japanese ones, it was the war, and yeah, it was we were at war. And it's also, a terrible people thing, hated but, black people back then. That's, well, yeah, there was yeah that that too. Um, so so it's so it's tough watching with your kids because you have to like I mean jump in, you know, like ah, fast forward. Or at least don't show them that ones, at least until they're, you know. 
I love. You never know when look, it's gonna like like they try to they try to cut the stuff out, but you can't cut everything out because it's so integral to the humor. Some of the stuff where you like oh, yeah. realize, um, and also like everyone's smoking a cigar everywhere, and now like my kids are like <laughs> they never even seen any concept of that. Like like I, when I was a kid, every single curmudgeonly man smoked a cigar, and every single admirable father smoked a pipe, and I just like yeah, that's what happens. That's right. Absolutely. Ward Cleaver, Jim Anderson. Of course. They're all, my kids are – my father, not that he was admirable, but he smoked a pipe. Father smoked a pipe. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. My, both my parents smoke like chimneys. Uh, my, uh, my dad was a cigarette. Actually, my mom was a cigarette smoker too. No, you're right, man. No, that's that generation. That was the way. No, Mad Men. I, I, you know, my sister wasn't watching Mad Men, and I'm like, you have to watch it. It literally is like watching a family photo album come to life. It's crazy. My parents were the At next age. generation. They were the uh, – they were the kids in Mad Men, sort of being. Oh, that's funny. So they were the seventies. Uh, the seventies, yeah. Awesome, awesome. There you go. No, my my parents were that Rat Pack cocktail. Also, how about uh, uh, Bewitched and Darren Stevens just getting drunk every day because he can't handle can't handle his magic wife. Or genie in the, or, or my dream, a genie. He kept his wife in a genie bottle. That's just <laughs> that's not right. She wasn't his wife until the well, end. Girl, until, like, whatever Christ. it was implied. <laughs> It was, yeah, so it was okay for him to subjugate a person. It, was, it seemed wrong. Keep her in a bottle. She liked the bottle. That was an awesome bottle, man. That was a better than my apartment. What are you talking I'm about? I'm a man? huge uh, well, classic movie fan. I don't know if uh, – I'm not on your level. Don't try to talk to me. About that. <laughs> but um, What shows do you I like? Watch, you I watch best? a lot of old movies. Um, oh, Attaboy. Yeah. What, what, are you, what are you digging lately? Tell me. Um, I don't, what am I digging? What's, what's spinning my wheel? Do you watch Turner Classic Movies? And, you know, right yeah, now. Yeah, no, I record. I go through it, but I record. The- Me too. Well, right now, 31 Days of Oscar. We're in the midst of uh, of that, and it's like, that's awesome. That in August, yeah. when they do their showcase of stars, and it's just like, it's like Christmas every day. It is. It's so, it's, yeah, it's so good. I was watching. Yeah. Here's, here's a dozen Jimmy Stewart movies. Yay! Kiss Me Deadly, the, you know, the original. That. Yeah, Mike Hammer. Yeah, Mike Hammer. Yeah, yeah man, Ralph Meeker. Um. Yes. With the atomic <laughs> with the bomb explosion at the end of the movie. Yes. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Um, but my daughter and I watch an old movie every Sunday. We go downstairs and we watch. It started off, we were watching like Fred and Ginger movies. Terrific. Um, and then we branched out. My daughter is very, she's all five years old. Uh, <laughs> but she loves it. She loves old what, John Ford Westerns. And uh, like she's seen The Searchers a bunch of times. And Wow. Um, that's some heavy stuff for a five-year-old. Yeah, no, it's weird. She, I don't. I'm sure it'll come back to haunt her later in life, but that'll be gone by then. So she'll. <laughs> uh, maybe watch John Ford West. No, but every time someone because people are lighting up cigarettes constantly, I make her like say out loud. I was like, "What does smoking do?" And she has to say, "Smoking kills you." Like, <laughs> because it's just it's just like to get past the values of that. Absolutely. And I try to find like any movie where at least a female is like somewhat. Um, active or you know like at least oh, that's Catherine cool. Hepburn because every Catherine Hepburn movie is the same right like she has agency throughout the whole movie and in the last five minutes she gets slapped down by a man like to kind of fast forward to that part you know that's uh, you're right like woman of the year is such a progressive movie for 1940 right. in terms of how capable and accomplished Catherine Hepburn is in that movie and put her in the kitchen and she becomes Lucy Ricardo yeah as soon as and it's so sad it, and she and I know I read a book that um, uh, and now I'm blanking on who directed it, but it was one of the directors that went to World War II, and because it, it's in that five five came back uh, book, which was exceptional yeah, um, about the special services. It wasn't Cap. Oh no, it was Cap. Oh no, no, it's not Cap. It's the guy. Oh, it's my favorite. It's my favorite. Uh, 
Oh, it's Cucor? No, it's not Cucor. No. Oh my god, it's it's the guy who who did the. Um, Give me another movie, and I'll probably. I'm gonna it. fucking do. I have the internet in front of me. What the hell am I doing? Was well, he he did Giants in his later careers and in his earlier careers? Oh, um, um, oh was it George? No, it wasn't George Stevens. Yeah, George what? Stevens. That's good. George Stevens did Woman of the Year. I'm gonna guess that's right. I'm gonna see it. Look at all right. I'm looking it up. He was one of the guys um, in that, which I also read. Well, you're right, and he is he is one of the guys that um, is in that Five Came Back. It's an excellent book. Oh, yeah. I know I've talked about it on Word Balloon. Oh, you have you read? Yeah, it? Of course. Oh, it was so good. Oh my god. And uh, William was it William Wyler that went? George deaf? Stevens. I'm right. Holy nice going, Tom right. King, ladies. And I gentlemen. love though. George Stevens is totally underrated. I've been watching a lot of George Stevens. Oh, absolutely. Because um, he did Swing Time, which is the best uh, Ginger and Fred, Fred movie yep, by yep. a mile. And he uh, and uh, if you look at like your favorite movie, like and he did like the Laurel and Hardy pie fight, and then he goes all the way and does the year, best years of our lives, and just well, oh, that's interesting. I thought um, I thought McCary, I thought Leo McCary did the uh, pie fight. No, if you look, it was George Stevens who was on that shit. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, no, he was an incredible filmmaker. Absolutely, my God, and also his. Footage of World War Two is just amazing and stunning as well. Yeah, he liberated a, a Nazi camp. Yep, um, yep. Diary of Anne Frank, Shane, Place in the Sun. Uh, no, he was amazing. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, Woman of the Year, like I said. Yeah, that's the point, though. Uh, so a lot of Barbara Stanwyck movies for your daughter? I just read that Barbara Stanwyck biography. Um, Pretty cool. Yeah, she was a, hell of a very, very conservative, though, and very anti-communist. So she took a bad turn in terms of politics. True. True. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just watched Double Indemnity today, which I didn't appreciate the first few times I saw it. Um, you got to show her uh, uh, Michan Do and uh, Mr. Smith. <laughs> you got Gene Arthur. She was tough in that movie. I have a Gene Arthur just, poster up on my wall. boy. What movie? Another George Stevens movie, The More the Merrier, which may be my favorite movie of all time. Which is oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, it's it's the it takes place in Washington D.C. It's only like it takes place in my neighborhood. I live in D.C. Yes, it's just, it's just about like it's oh, Washington D.C. is overcrowded, and uh, Charles Coburn is Charles Coburn and Charles um, and uh, Joel McRae and oh, I love that movie. I have a poster in my room just to remind me how good did, it is. He did Gunga Din. He did Gunga did Din. Do, yes. Yep. Did he do Sergeant York or no? No, that that was um, Howard Hawks. That was Howard Hawks. There you go. Which I didn't. I, Sergeant York's not my favorite movie of all time. I don't. I don't. Oh, I agree. I I totally agree. I don't like. Um, See, my name, my brain is too old. I'm not that old. Gary Cooper. I don't like Gary, Gary Cooper. Gary Cooper, yeah. He doesn't do it for me. Of all oh, the stars, Gary Cooper, he's like always playing this like innocent and the yokel, and I just want to slap him in the face and be like, grow up. That's hilarious because I, I love Pride of the Yankees. I love Along Came Jones. I, I drive Hillary Barton nuts because he's another old movie guy. Uh, and, and I'm like, Along Came Jones. He's like, it's not that good of a movie. I'm like, I think it's funny, man. Him and William Demarest and Loretta Young. Good shit, man. <laughs> the audience is totally tuning out. They're like, what the I know. Hell? I know. Right. Who the fuck cares? Talk about Grayson, asshole. Well, Grayson number five, maybe my favorite issue I ever wrote, is Grayson crossing the desert with a baby and two other people. And it's just, it's a retelling of John Ford's The Three Godfathers. Nice. So, yeah. It's a bit, nice. It pays off. There you go. boy. Very cool. Do you, do you ever, like, think? Oh, because I know... Um, Bendis did uh, for Dan Brereton a nocturnal story about the gun, uh, the gun witch, and it was basically like a Yojimbo uh, story or whatever. Yeah, I, I, I have some. I, I 
old westerns are such influences on me, and I think influences on everybody. We should acknowledge them. So I, I have some plans of, of stuff to use that. Up. I mean, it's obviously like I feel that Sheriff of Babylon is a western. I feel Omega Men is just a big old western. Um, in fact, I have a standoff, a western standoff in the in the latest issue. So I use those stuff in Omega Men in in issue eight. In issue nine there's a big oh. there's a big standoff with guns and the whole thing did nine come out uh, this week no nine's the next one that comes out okay cool yeah nine, oh, nine's cool because cool. i get to you know Mega Man's doing this weird thing with the panels you know about this talk to me no so i'll be honest you'll be honest. yeah you, nobody knows about this i feel like i put so much effort into it nobody knows. i should tell people <laughs> dude look at this george dude swing time gungadin uh i got the barrier list. place of the sun the chain giants yep, giant Diary of Anne Frank, absolutely. Give me a break. Penny Serenade, very, very uh, sensitive Cary Grant movie. Oh, these are, yeah, these are fantastic movies. Absolutely, man. Um, so anyway, yeah, so issue nine, Omega Men. You're doing a thing with panels. Oh, yeah. So e- each issue of Omega Men is told um, reflectively. So the, the first, the paneling in the first, I, I, I do the layouts in Omega Men. The paneling in the first ten pages matches the paneling in the second ten pages. But where uh, page ten matches eleven, so it's kind of reflective. Crazy, um, you know, like and uh, and that's every issue is that way until you get to issue because it's a twelve issue mini or maxi series. Issue six, it starts over so that the paneling in issue six matches the paneling in issue seven, and then the paneling in issue five matches the paneling in issue eight. So then the, the second half of the series reflects the first half. Wow. And, and the reason I'm doing that is because it all looks – if you look at an omega, the actual shape of an omega, it's a reflective shape. You can divide it in half and it, it's uh-huh. like itself. And, and yeah. the plot works that way too. And it, it, and it works like where it starts off one way and goes around and then comes around and does another thing. Um, and, which we're, and I think we're going to pull it off. I, we had to fight a lot to get it done. There were two mistakes. One happened at Comic-Con and one happened when it was canceled. Just two little panels that were out. Besides that, I think it's going to be perfect. Would you be able to fix those? The, um, yeah, I think for- we're going to try to fix them in the trade. That's terrific. Yeah. That's excellent. Hey, man, that's awesome. Well, you know, and I know you were inventive in Grayson that way, too, when you told that backwards story. Yeah, I like to play with Pat. Like I said, I want to do something that you haven't seen before to Absolutely. make it worth the money. But there you go. Exactly, Tom. And that's the thing is doing something beyond telling a competent story. And again, that's the frustration sometimes with the big two that um, you're not getting that exceptional. And you and like you, you've, you've laid out a bunch of possibilities that – you know, some of these people are afraid to do it and then, you know, are maybe intimidated uh, and don't want to like swing for the fences. But I mean, I always hear these great writers say, you know, write every comic as if it's your last. Of course. Of course. I mean, you have to. I, I think I, I'm, I don't know. It's, but I feel like people worship this medium and, and it's worth worshiping. And you have to you have to sure. you have to respect it when you write for every the people do. I mean, I'm not I'm not like a buff. Oh, yeah. Buddy. I mean, everyone's. Well, I, I but I also think again, going back to what you were saying in terms of well, there's less compa creators in in you know than players in the NFL or some of these other comparisons and stuff. And it's like, yeah, but you know, again, no one is telling the big two in particular to pump out more product than is truly equitable and feasible. And maybe some people are getting opportunities and they're not ready for them in terms of working with these corporate characters. And I don't. And honestly, I'm not. I'm not thinking of any individual when I say that. And I don't mean to sound callous, but it's just like when you get an inferior product. And again, it's 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 down to five issues a story, so you get two stories a year potentially. I mean, that's that's why DC is going through this massive reboot. 
everyone is like, uh, I'm not interested. And then, and, and, you know, there, it's like some of these ideas were very ambitious and, and succeeded, but there wasn't enough eyeballs. That's the other thing. Maybe they need to adjust what, um, what their level of expectation is. And obviously it's tied to the cost. And if it does cost too much to, you know, keep making this book, obviously stop making it. But again, instead of immediately replacing it with another idea or something like that, maybe you're making too much product. Maybe you got to cut back a little bit. Well, I think I can say without revealing too much about Rebirth that I think DC, I don't, I know more about DC than I do about Marvel because I write more books there, um, mm-hmm. uh, is aware of exactly what you just said. And I think they want to fix it. Um, and they, they want to do a better job at exactly what that is. Um, and, I, and, I, and I do think also one of the things is, is the idea of a shared universe starts to get lost when you have so many books in so many sort of different ways. And to go back to that idea that, that, that the DC universe is a thing that exists, um, that has a shared history um, I think that's what Rebirth is going to be about, about about trying to fix some of this stuff. I honestly well, do. Ho- hopefully they will – and this is, again, another problem that both companies have. There's nothing wrong with doing a big event. But with the exceptions of Crisis, which was supposed to be different, um, you didn't – you just – I don't know. I don't think the line has to suddenly stop what it's doing to be in the event. Let the event be a self-contained thing. I just think there's just simple things like that that they can do or – the thing that always drives me crazy is, well, I'm sorry, Bruce Wayne is lost in time and uh, Superman is on New Krypton, so no, they can't be in a Justice League story. Sorry, Dwayne McDuffie, the, one of the greatest Justice League writers of television ever and in animated movies and comics when he was allowed to do his thing. Uh, but I mean, that's the thing. And I just remember poor Dwayne just like being on message boards going, uh, they said no to the Atom. They said no to Hawkman. That's why you got uh, Gypsy, Plastic Man. You know, and we're calling it the Justice League. And it's like, I'm sorry, man. I mean, I was the same way about uh, when Dr. Druid and whoever the hell was leading the Avengers in the 90s. Hey, I'm like, hey. I, I, sorry, bud. Those are my Avengers, the, man. I, and I respect Hey, man. And, uh, Tom you know, Palmer, Jeff, Roger Stern. Sure. Hey, and that's the thing, man. No, Roger's an amazing writer. Hey, Jeff Johns will defend JLA Detroit till his last breath, and I understand that. <laughs> I can't, you know, I it's can't, okay. After listening to Cater versus JLA over that stuff, it's tough to defend. <laughs> Aquaman's always hitting people in the face. It was, yeah. It was, you know, oh, that's so, you know, it's funny. I stopped listening. Uh, I didn't I didn't know Tom had moved on to the JLA. That's fantastic. So, does he, he doesn't podcast anymore, does he? I think I heard somewhere, some rumor that he's just starting a new one to do some sort of... Oh, that's great. Good. I'm glad, I'm glad he got the bug again. No, Tom's a funny guy. Oh, he's the best. Um, I, I, I mean, that's a... That's, not, yeah, by the way, you don't have to, you know, I mean, obviously I want you to contribute as far as the conversation. I mean, you know, you're, you're not, you're not here to be the apologist for either, either company, obviously. No, no, but I'll tell you what yeah. I am here to be. And that's like, I'm here to try to make it better. I mean, that's what I'm sure you are, man. That's, that's my point. And listening to people like you and listening to the, your people in your audience is how you make it better. Just like an Iowa caucus thing. I know it sounds like that. <laughs> Iowa. I should have been a pause to a comic book politician. There you go. But, Mr. Cruz, let me tell you what's wrong with the country. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. Mr. Cruz. Yikes. Um, <laughs> Ugh. Yikes! I know. Jesus Christ! Don't get me started, man. I got enough. Drama. I'm with. Well, you know, that's drama. all right. I, you know, I'm fascinated. Honestly, this is this. I mean, it's early. I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, shit will shake out by March, and we'll have our front runners. I'm sure. But uh, it is funny. It is funny right now. 
Uh, let's just talk. Comics, comics are much more fun to talk about than that. Yeah, anyway, with comics, no, you are honestly you can solve the. Comic I, 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 I'm telling you this because I know you're a fan as well, and truly, I don't have, I don't feel like I'm calling you out because I'm not calling you out. I'm, I'm talking about other people that aren't writing interesting stories, and that's the thing. You are no man. Um, I meant it when I said it. The the three that I've been paying attention to of your books are Grayson, uh, Vision, and Sheriff of Babylon. Um, and and truly, they're all great stories, and also they're running at different paces, which is fine. And I mean, that's the thing. I think you're able to, at least, and maybe for you, it's writing is writing. I don't know. Are, are you in a different frame of mind for all three books or four books? Because uh, oh, obviously, Omega Man as well. And you're experimenting, as you say, with the panels of Omega Man, or when you do the special Grayson issue and stuff. Yeah, no, I. It's a very different frame of mind, different kind of comic books. But um, I, I got to get back to some of these topics you raised. Uh, back to fixing all of comics. Um, okay, yeah, the digital first, and then no, no, the, the, the Dwayne McDuffie question. I think is. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, first of all, again, my daughter's in the, in, is in, into watch. I watched the, the JLA, the show Unlimited, with her recently, and it's the yes. those those Justice League stories can they're they're second to none. They're so good. Um, yeah. Uh, so I, I can't say enough, high enough praise about that guy. If I had my brothers. I mean, my so good. Just a, I know it's, it's such a tragedy. It's just a tragedy for comics. Oh, totally. And but just an uber fan that really loved what he was doing, and get, like, like Dwayne got it. Dwayne, Dwayne knew character. how to write a great. He got the, every character that he touched, he knew what he was doing. Yeah, he really did. I, I, yeah, I just feel like we were we were robbed of so many great stories. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. And, and and just a direction for those characters. Uh, but but it's tough because you have to balance the shared universe versus letting people tell their own stories. And I think if you get away from the shared universe, then the stories start to matter less. And it's 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 a really tough balance in, in terms of, of what you do with these. Because I feel like um, DCYOU maybe went a little far, a little too far away. And, I, and sometimes if if you go too far from that, if you, if if you don't let the readers know that what what they're looking at is this shared universe then they lose the connection with the characters. And if you lose the connection with the characters, then you lose the stakes in the story. If you lose the stakes in the story, then you lose what's good about it. Like if, if you think that if black canary dies in this issue, then she, then, and she'll just be alive in justice league the next day. Um, then you won't care about black canary. You have to think like this black canary you're watching is having an impact on everything and that it, that it somehow exists in the real world. That's like the magic of comics. I got to be honest, Tom. I I think I think that's a I I I just think that's um, irrelevant when the old product is right next to the new product, and and also there are TV versions. I just think every comic fan is savvy enough to know that, of course, Steve Rogers is going to be a Captain America once again at some point. It's going to happen, and therefore, I think you can. Well, and I I can appreciate what you're saying in terms of people having the space to be able to tell their story. But again, I think when you're dealing with the icons, no one else is ever going to be Bruce Wayne. Period. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't see that ever changing. No, but I would say the same thing. What I'm now, saying is, I, is is if like Batman dies and you don't think he's going to be dead in all the other books and you think it's just going to be sort of in this one story, then it lessens the death somehow. And I mean, you know he's going to come back. Everybody comes back. I don't know. But that's what I'm saying. I don't but, I think you have to But if you, go ahead. I just there, there, I hear there, what you're saying. Just, you're right. That's there's a distinction that's... between fan fiction 
and the, the comic book universe. And it's, it's, it's a thinning distinction, but it's a real one because you say these are – when you go out with those comic characters, you say these are somehow – these are the real ones. These are the ones you should be caring about. And if you blur that line where they're like, I don't know which is the real one. I might as well just go online and read the fan fiction. Like you, you have to make them real in some way or else people don't care about them. And I well, think that has to do with, with, with the impact um, one book has on another book. And obviously, the, the the publishers agree with you. All I can say is because again, no, they, uh, d- no, I think they do. In that case, obviously they do because then they do tell these other creators, "No, I'm sorry, you got to wait until J. Michael Straczynski finishes his story. Superman's going to be walking across America, whether you like it or not, <laughs> and he's not available for a Justice League story." I, I understand, I guess, and and again, because they're they're making that same argument that you are, and and they are trying to serve the, their creators and let them tell their stories. So I appreciate the abstract of that. But I also think, um, you know, uh, uh, Mark uh, DiMatteis and I were talking about the death of Superman. And I mentioned that when, uh, when, when we got to that issue before the reign of the Superman started with the four new guys um, and the issue ended, it was after Superman was dead and buried and it ended with Jonathan having the heart attack. Yeah. And what a scary moment and stuff. It's like, okay, they're obviously not going to leave the story here. Um, And I went to my comic book store owner and said, I I understand, but like, do you have any idea, without spoiling, but do you have any idea of like when we can find out when the next chapter of the story is going to happen? And he's like, no, there is no other chapter. He's dead. And it's like, oh, fuck you. And especially now that I know that. Uh, the publishers did let the, the, the stores in on the secret, and it was like, um, yeah, don't worry, uh, we got something coming in a couple of months, you know. And that's and literally it's just like, yeah. And he could have just treated me like the adult that I was, and just said, um, it's coming in a couple of months. And you know, we, you know, I don't have anything on schedule, but it's gonna be, it's gonna be in a few months. Okay, thank you. And I, and I still appreciated the integrity of the story. Um, but again, it's fucking Superman. Again, God, when everyone lost their shit. I don't know, dude. I, I think some people, again, and maybe it's a younger audience that hasn't seen the pony trick as many times as uh, us uh, older audi- uh, readers have. But like when they killed Captain America, when Brubaker killed him, he's coming back. Give me a fucking break. You know, the only the only guy that managed to stay dead, where it's like, I, I guess he's really dead, is Barry Allen for 25 years. Yeah, but I mean, you always have, I mean, you have to have some cognitive dissonance with it, right? Like you have to be, you have to suspend your disbelief to enjoy the story. Oh, absolutely. But that's the thing that I enjoyed. John Hickman tore your heart out when he killed Johnny Storm and put him in the negative zone. Right. And it looked like Johnny was dead. And you had amazing emotional issues in the right hands of Spider-Man consoling Franklin. I know what it means when you lose your uncle. I went through the great moments or the best. And it was that silent moment. With the fake thing on the roof, my guy. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Well, yes, and when and when he when everybody beats on the thing and lets the thing get his uh, his anger out, yeah. and they're all letting him beat beat so and stuff. Good. That's terrific. So it, in most huge. I'm sorry if I'm like the one that said, yeah, Santa Claus isn't real. Don't worry, Johnny Storm's coming back. It's okay, and it's okay. Tell your story. I mean, that's the thing, man. I was able to do both, and I again, I get what you're saying. I guess we'll agree to disagree because yeah, I I, I think. I think a comic book reader is sophisticated enough to understand, or should be, to know that, yeah, uh, I think a big movie's coming out. I think uh, we want all the boats going in the same direction. You know, yes, uh, by the way, uh, Spider Man is Peter Parker in the movies, 
But in the comic books, it's Shmuel uh, Saganovich. He is your Spider-Man because uh, we're telling this story. But I, but I would go with it. I don't think what I'm saying is that the, com- that the reader is not sophisticated enough to understand that this hero will come back. I think the reader is sophisticated enough to understand that the hero has come back and yet still suspend that notion enough to have an emotional reaction to it. I think that's a complicated thing to do. And I, I think the reader can do it's it's like when you're in a movie theater and you're scared Absolutely. that some, that's yeah. something you know in your heart of hearts. Robert De Niro's dying. Robert De Niro's dying in front of my eyes. I know Robert De Niro really isn't dying in front of my eyes, but it's happening in the story and I'm sucked into the story. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Um that's happening on the screen and meanwhile Robert De Niro's in Goodfellas and you know, uh he's alive. And it's like I, I that's what I'm saying, man. I can I can I, I don't think the existence of another story where there's a Justice League that is not affected by month-to-month continuity and we're still getting Justice League stories can exist because it was happening in the 60s and 70s and 80s pre-crisis. And that's why, again, this I, I could still enjoy um, the uh, Superman story that was happening in the 70s where it's Clark Kent forever, Superman never. That was the overarching title. And he was just slowly losing his powers, and he didn't know why. And meanwhile, he was still pushing planets in the Justice League. <laughs> I mean, that's that's all I'm saying, and it's it really is that basic. And it's like it didn't it didn't it didn't bother me. It was a different story. Uh, so, and again, I mean, connected I guess, universe. I guess it's a balance. I mean, nothing's one or the other. Sure, man. No, no. Like I said, the, the publishers agree with you. So yeah, we've talked this to death. <laughs> I, I mean, I, that's what I'm saying. So yeah, we're not gonna. We're, it's like a. It's like a sports argument. I'm sorry. All right. I love this. This is awesome because I don't. I, oh no, no. I agree. But the, I, the I, thing I, is, what you're saying does not like. I don't disagree with it. You're you're coming from a a, a, a place. I understand. And I would and I would say the same to you. Truly, because that's the thing. I I get what you. Well, I was lying. Ha ha! I caught you. You agree with me. <laughs> I don't respect you. You're wrong, you ass. You're wrong. You fell like perfectly it. into my trap, Sundress. <laughs> oh, my God. I put your name so, in Vision uh, 5. What's that about you? Uh, Vision I 5? I put Sundress in there. Did you really? Yeah. Oh, thanks, man. That's really nice. God, that's honestly, that is like one of the highest compliments that happens. And and incredibly, you know, uh, Han, Jeremy Hahn and uh, Jason Hurley did it in uh, the. Uh, the body, uh, or excuse the me, the beauty, not the body, the beauty. I'm an asshole. Um, the beauty, yes, it was, uh, which was really nice. And you know, Bendis and uh, Oming did it, and Powers, and uh, you know, certainly Principal Suntress and stuff like that. No, that's the highest compliment. So thank you. Yes, I, I have a firm. Uh, there's like a law firm. It's called the firm of Flanagan, Suntress, and Rios, or something. I was like, also I a little thing to like my podcasting past. I need to, I need to put together like, like various panels like that because yeah, like in Powers, there's like a high school that's named after me, and you know, of course, like I said, Principal Suntress, and then, uh, and yeah, stuff like that. No, that's huge, man. And I'm, and I'm the police, I'm the police captain in, uh, in the beauty. That's right. <laughs> that's one. So, which is ridiculous. You're... I mean, that's, and that's just the, that's the tip of the iceberg. No, other guys have done this. I always seen that moment in Civil War when they have the mic sound where there's a CGS mic or something. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. Maury Holloway did all that shit. That was excellent, man. Oh, no, it's funny. No, that's great. Those are great Easter eggs. And seriously, yeah, we all, we love that. That's, that's ridiculously nice. So cool, man. I'll take. I will take the. Uh, I uh, will take the uh, law firm. It's my pleasure. How many hours you get with? So, so like, have you had to reject anything, or have anything rejected from the CIA in terms of what you've wanted to do with Sheriff of Babylon? No, I mean Sheriff of Babylon comes nowhere near any sort of secrets or anything. So I didn't think it would be. Um, I didn't think it would be problematic. If people don't know what Sheriff of Babylon is, it's a crime series set in Iraq 
um, post right after the invasion, nine months after the invasion. And I was mm-hmm. in the CIA and I was in Iraq nine months after the invasion. So I said it there when I was there so I could talk about just what I experienced. I was, I was only there for five months, um, almost like probably four and a half, but just like I was there at the very, wow. I was there at the very end or I feel like I was there at an important time. I'm sure everyone who was there feels that way. But, um, to me it was important because when I got there, we sort of felt like we were winning the war. And by the time I left by that summer, it felt like we were losing and I don't think we've ever gotten our feet undressed since. So I think it wow. was sort of an important time. It was the end of the, it was the transition when we were turning over power or we were thinking of turning over power to the Iraqis, um, which was, you know, um, and so, so I'm right. And, and it's a crime series, uh, about a murder and, a, and about terrorism and, and about all, all the things that can go wrong. Um, that takes place in that period in, in that heat. And it's not political. It's not about, how we got in the war and the WMDs and and it, but is it is it possibly political in the sense of the Shias and the Sunnis because I happen to see the front line that really did kind of lay out the the that period and and after the takeover and every or the turnover and how um, and I'm sure I'm going to get them wrong I believe it was was uh, Hussein's group the Sunnis yeah Hussein was the Sunnis are a minority in Iraq I mean a big minority. Right. So once the Shias and and the and was it was no and I always get this mixed up with the Egyptian president was Mubarak Egypt or Iraq? That's Egypt. Yeah. Okay. So who? What was the name of the Iraqi president? Saddam Hussein. No, after. Oh, after, oh um. Why yes? Was it? I forget. Thank you. Adolf Hitler. Oh, I see. What am I saying? What do you want from me? There are a lot of Sarah Palins out there. I don't know. You're like, who's the Iraqi general? What am I going to say? Who was the Who was the president? Malawi. Malawi. That's yeah. That sounds correct. At least it's. I I believe that's correct. Because literally, it was like a month ago that I saw this front line, and I didn't realize that once the Shias once the Shias took power. The promise was that the Sunnis had a vice president and they would be represented in government. Maliki. And literally, oh my like, god, I can't believe that. Oh, there you go. Oh, it was Maliki. Okay, fine. There you go. And Malawi, then, then so Malawi was he? Was he the vice president? Uh, no, he's another player. Yeah, no, but 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 yeah. To answer your question, yes, that that I mean, I have I have three main characters. One of them is an American contractor who's there training right. police officers. The other one is a, a Shia police officer who worked for the Sunnis um, and was there for sort of compromise, and he's now washed up uh or not washed up he's out of a job because there's no government and he was a cop so there's literally no police and then the right the third person is a sunni a female uh tribal chief or um, like almost like a warlord um and she's high and she lived her life and her father worked for saddam or uh, her grandfather was one of the founders of the Ba'ath party which was sort of the nazis of Iraq. right that was saddam's yes Ba'ath soldiers the 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 sunni the sunni strong strong yeah man. and her and uh, uh, like happened with Hitler and Saddam both did this. They had mentors um, who helped them found the party and they killed their mentors. And that's sort of who her grandfather is. Wow. And she was, and her whole family was slaughtered when that happened. She was, uh, and, but she was an American in a, in a private school and she's returning to Iraq. And she like was one of these sort of advisors who advised America and said, I can help you take it over and sort of um, took the country that way. So those are the three. There's a Sunni character, a Shia character, and an American character. So I try to represent – and then a Kurd, there's a Kurdish character that appears in the second book and will reappear later. Okay. Um, so yeah, all, all that politics is part of it and there's sort of the confusion that makes and how, how they're sort of shifting alliances between all of those people. It, it affects sort of the crime part of it and how it works. Yeah. 
Well, that's and I, I mean, I did I did know the identities of of your three main characters, and that's I I guess I missed that that comment by the woman that her grandfather was one of those uh, mentors because I again I learned about the whole Hussein run yeah or rise rise and fall, and then again the aftermath is just it's insane because yeah they just renege I mean the the Sunnis really reneged on or the Shias rather reneged on their promise of. No, we're gonna we'll do this jointly, and immediately started accusing the Sunnis of traitor and and can't be trusted, and put him in jail, and and just this crazy shit started happening, and it's just amazing how quickly it, it unraveled after the turnover. Yeah, I mean it's it's such a complicated situation where you have a a minority group. I mean you have the same thing in Syria now, where a minority group group was oppressing a majority group, and then they come. Through and the majority group says, "Well, we should rule this country," but then they have all sorts of problems from years of not ruling and and and, and not trusting the people who had previously oppressed them. Not to mention that that Iran, the country next door, is a Shia country. Yep. Is a Shia country and, absolutely? And um, and a lot of the people uh, because Saddam chased them out of their own country, they had to retreat to Iran. They became very close to Iranian. Iranians are a different um, ethnicity than Iraqis. Iraqis are Arabs. Iranians are Persians. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, but it's it, so all of these sort of overlapping um, problems, and then the historical context of you know like what Iraq was and what it means to the Muslim world, this, and how the significance of Baghdad. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's just the whole Sunni Shia split happened in Baghdad when um, when Ali retreated um, to to what was was bartered um, in Iraq. Um, so I mean, it, there's there's so much his, there's just an incredible amount of history there and a history that. Uh, yeah, eons we, of history. Yeah, we, I mean, we, that's that's the thing. It's beyond uh, it's beyond centuries. Yeah. It's like yeah, like uh, a thousand and a half years ago. Yeah. Really, <laughs> I know. I, I put a line in the second one. You know, we're, Iraqis are not weak. We're patient. And I just think that's very. That was very well, typical. Sort of. Truly, I've I've always heard that the, the the concept of time in these in these societies is very different, and we we forget that the United States is only you know two hundred and you know forty years old. I mean, and these. I mean, I, I always simplify it and say, "Well, what's your problem with with the Western culture?" Well, in 1054 during the Crusades, what? Yeah, uh, 1054, and it's like you know yesterday. And I understand <laughs> again, it's it's not they're not wrong. It's just that's their concept of you know, like no, this this has been sitting with us for a long time, and yeah, we're still pissed. And it's like, oh, all right. I know, but I think sometimes I think that's true on on some level. But I think sometimes all that stuff you were there, yeah. Please tell me. Can, yeah, go can on. be used to confuse the situation. I think like we we say stuff like that, like they have a, they think in terms of history different than we do. I, I I don't know. I didn't find that to be all the way true. I think they have their own. I appreciate that. Please, yeah. I mean, they're just as I feel like they're just as an Iraqi is is just as complicated as an American. I, I like it's hard to summarize them in, in terms of like. Um, well, shame on me. You're right. No, 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 You're no, right. not not shame on you. No, honestly, I appreciate. Hey, no, Tom. Honestly, I I want I I have no problem uh, being corrected on a on a bad uh, impression, and and you know, shame on me oh, because yeah. you were there. You've you've t- you've met these people and and had you know five months of direct direct contact and stuff. And yeah, I understand. No, I mean, our human instinct is to summarize people by what, like, well, the small facts we can know them. That's like how we function. We can't possibly understand sure. each other because there's just too many goddamn facts out there. They don't fit our brains. That. So, I, I mean, I think that's the natural way to do things. It's just, uh, I mean, this story, well, I, I'm trying to at least get get across some of the um, the nuance. Of, yeah, I mean, like, yeah. it's like, and then and then because 
I, I feel almost because of those nuances, like that brings us closer together. I mean, it's like that old, um, I always think of the old Louis Armstrong, like a man wants to work for his pay, man wants to have a place to call. Like, um, I, I feel like that's true across the borders. Like, I, like, I mean, I, I've talked oh, yeah. to the craziest people in the world, and what they want the exact same things. They want to work for their pay. They want to give their wife a better life. They want, they want to give their kids a better life. They want um, a, a, someone to love them um, and to be respect and to respect them. So I, I just I think this, uh, that that history affects them, but it, it affects them the same way it does us. I don't think it. I appreciate that. No, I'm glad, honestly, I appreciate the clarification. And hey, man, like uh, I, I yeah, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to come off like an asshole. You so goddamn asshole, Sundress. I am, exactly. First you oh. hate all duck comics, and now you hate <laughs> turns his hatred to the world. Yeah, but no, but that's the point of that's what that's actually I mean it gets to the center of what I'm trying to do in Sheriff is to tell a story that's neither that's not black or white and it's not about good guys or bad guys, but it's about it's about sort of the complications that make us make these small little mistakes that turn into big mistakes that turn into wars. And um, I mean, that's the whole theme of the series is how how a bunch of people with good intentions, because they didn't understand each other in the right way, those good intentions turned into such horrible things. I mean, that's what it's supposed to be. It's, and, with, with with violence and fun too. Don't forget that. <laughs> who's your Who's your editor at Vertigo? Jamie Rich. Oh, that's great. I know Jamie, and he's uh, he's a hell of a writer, and he's a hell of an editor. So that. That's excellent. I mean, because honestly, as I as I shit on, and I want to hear what you think, and give me your your two cents on Jamie. But I just want to say, like <laughs> that. Uh, no, it's great that Vertigo is letting this kind of story happen because I do think that there is a clarity, or at least an, a better, uh, you know, examination of the subtleties of what's going on over there. That I I I mean, especially given that it is, even though it was you know six or seven years ago. That's reasonably. I mean, it hasn't gotten that much better. Obviously, yeah. I mean, I mean it's still it's still a messed up situation. So it's pretty cool to be that uh, to have that kind of uh, nuance and detail in a story like this. I mean, that's heady stuff. I mean, I'm sure I'm I'm missing you know ninety percent of the target, but um, just because nothing's perfect, and I but I'm trying to do the best I can from what I remember. Um, so uh, yeah, and, and, and Jamie, just to go back to Jamie, yeah, go back to word balloon sucking up to you. The, the reason he came to me is I was like, oh, what have you worked on? He's like, I used to edit Powers. I was like, what? Yeah, yeah. I was, I was like, wait a second. Does that mean you edited the monkey issue? And he's like, hell yeah, I did. <laughs> I was like, we are going to be best friends. <laughs> no, that's cool. And I've really, I've liked his, uh, uh, the few crime books that he's done for Oni and stuff that he's written lately. Yeah, it's very nice working for a writer. Jamie's really easy to work for because he's sort of gone through what you've gone through. So he's just easy to talk to. And he, and, and he has um, good thoughts on and on, like all I care about comics is like you know how panels go together and that kind of stuff, and he has good thoughts and a good story, like good advice on how to get stories done. And I should mention Mitch Garrett is drawing that, and he's yes, indeed, he is killing it. He's, yes, he is. He's the, he's in my opinion, he's the be, he's the best modern war comic artist. I'm gonna put it out there. I'm to, I used to say one of. I'm going for best. Um, and uh, I wouldn't disagree. His Punisher was amazing looking, and I mean that's the thing. I think he does realism very well. This is I'm the most blessed writer in comics in terms of the artists I get to work with, um, with Walta and Mikkel and Mitch and uh, and Barnaby. Uh, but but Mitch blows me away. And we're doing this issue. If if you just if you issue five is coming out, it's going to be our like bottle issue or whatever, like our special ER issue where the baby dies. Wow, um, and <laughs> that's a that's a deep cut, right? <laughs> and um, 
but, but what Mitch did with that issue, the arts coming in now and the, sort of the emotion he put into it, I think it's going to be something real special. He, he gets these characters and he, he adds so much to the story. I'm nothing but impressed by what he's doing. And he colors it so, too. He's a colorist. So is issue four out? Uh, three came out uh, last, last week. Right? So issue four. Yeah, okay. Issue four is so, in the yeah. can. I just did the letter corrections on it this morning. So. But I mean, you're talking about five. I'm talking about five, yeah. Published. The one two months. Okay, cool. Because no, I just want to make sure I didn't miss – I want to make sure I didn't miss four, but yeah, I, no, no, I've read all three. Four is so. amazing. I like four a lot, but um, and I, I think four is probably the best one to the date. But five, I think, is the one. That, um, is is there any sort of mid point kind of like you know uh, a story moment where it okay you know the because. Because, you know, DC – and again, I don't mean to be an asshole, but like <laughs> – be, but I'm just saying like, well, what drove me nut like um, uh, Neil Adams had his Batman story. It was a 12-issue, st- uh, you know, s- story. And he didn't, you know, give us a pause at six like, okay – like in the way that Mark Miller was able to do with Wolverine and you had – I forget what the first arc was called, but I know one of the arcs was Wolverine, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. But it was right after he did his... Enemy uh, of the State. Enemy of the State. Thank you, bud. Exactly. So I was going to say it was like right around the same time as his Marvel Knights Spider-Man and everything. Yeah. And I think right after that he did Wolverine. So Enemy of the State and Wolverine, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., you could break into two uh, trades, but it was one story. It was one big story. Right. Um, Neil didn't do that. And then, you know, after six issues, and, I, and I'm assuming they're not doing this with Sheriff of Babylon, especially given that it's going to be an ongoing uh, beyond these 12 issues and stuff. But after six issues, they started number one again with what would have been issue seven. And I, I spoke to Neil about that. I'm like, they didn't do you any favors. He's like, no, they didn't. And I don't like this. <laughs> and he's like, because I didn't, it's not an issue one. It's issue seven. I don't understand why they did that. And I don't either. Other than the fact that they could say, well, that's, you know, book one. And it's like, well. Don't give somebody a goddamn trade where you know, and I hope they don't do that to you. Where like the first five or six issues of Sheriff Babylon just kind of ends, and it's like, all right, you know, because and in fairness, I guess you know, European albums do that. You know, an album will end with a cliffhanger, and it's like, okay, I'll see you in three years when I get the next one done. <laughs> it's like, okay, <laughs> we'll wait right here. We'll be at this corner. Um, I don't know, in the cafe, eating, drinking coffee. I don't know. But uh, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, do you know? Are they are they going to trade it in two sections? Yeah, they're going to trade it in two sections. Uh, so ish, and hopefully along the image model, where um, a, a month or so after issue six comes out, you'll have a trade where you can have the first six all together. And okay. and issue six, I've, um, I've, I'm on through issue six, so it does end with uh, with a, a place to pause in the story and a place to have a cliffhanger okay. and sort of all a right. summary moment. So so, the, so that the first six will hang together as one. Okay. <laughs> no, John, I didn't do that. <laughs> you did, obviously. So that's good. But yeah, man. I mean, but but, but, I know, but it's different than Omega Men. We're doing all twelve, and then they're collecting all twelve together. Very good. And then, I'm glad. And Vision, Vision <laughs> goes along the same lines as Sheriff. We're doing six and six. Um, and 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 in Vision, will will issue six have like kind of a? Yeah, issue six is a huge issue. I just turned it in. It's it's okay. It's, the, it's huge. It's the it's a big one. I'm I honestly, man, you're you're blowing my mind with this thing. And also I love that it's really about the the kids and 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 Virginia. I mean, Vision's there. He's in every issue. But it's it's watching his kids fail or or try to figure out, you know, again, this interaction with humans and stuff. It's very heady stuff. 
Yeah, I feel sometimes that the vision is sort of the best comic book I can write. So I don't know if I can. Every, every issue, I'm so proud of what comes out. I'm like, oh, I, I can't believe this came. I can't believe I wrote this. I can't believe I did it. I'm, I'm stealing from everyone I can to come up with some new ways to tell this. Like I'm using that third person narration. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And uh, you know, I used to. I, I'm a big Marvel zombie. I grew up with them, so it's just so fun to play with those characters. It was fun. Like I was, you know, just when we reached for Marvel facts, they're like so on my mind. It was like, oh. Like we had, we had to do this, those in the first issue. He, Vision gives a tour of his house, and he's like, "Oh, here's a, a piano we got from Wakanda." And I was like, "Of course." He, <laughs> I was like, "Yeah." I was like, "What would you have? What would you have from Wakanda?" And I was like, "Oh, of course you'd have some music thing, right? Because you have um, that with a, a stringless Steinway, right? It'd have to have, have no strings in it. It would just have lasers." <laughs> And uh, and I was like, well, what? Well, I, was, I was like, what other objects? I was like, oh, I bet a Wendigore, some weird plant grows on that mountain. And I was like, oh, Wendigore. It's just so much fun to play in the Marvel universe. I love it. <laughs> no, honestly, I would love to see this made into a Vision movie because again, it would be like, and and Marvel is kind of trying to play with genres within the super, while it's still you know in the framework of a superhero movie. You know, you had the heist movie and Ant Man, and you had the political spy movie in, in Captain America Winter Soldier. Um, and this really, like I said, I mean, this is kind of like the Twilight Zone, Bradbury, Ray Bradbury sort of, like it does. It just feels like pulpy science fiction in terms of, you know, what happens when robots are robots are, uh, are, are faced with human emotions like this. Well, to me, that's the real competition and inspiration. I mean, beyond these old classic movies that I watch over and over again is this peak TV we're going through right now. And to sort of look at the best of to look at Mad Men, um, the Breaking Bad and, you know, the Sopranos and say like, how can we make comics be like that? Like I constantly think like, okay, what, what are they doing in this? That is so addictive and that is so amazing. And it is so breaking every single rule. Um, so I, I try to write my stories along those lines and try to make them into like, if this was the HBO show, would this be the HBO show everyone's addicted to? So I, I, I think for pacing, if I look anywhere, I look to those TV shows. I understand. Did you watch that William Hurt? Uh, was it BBC America or was it A&E that was running like uh, – it was, it was set in England – and there are robot like uh, yeah, it was yeah, it was AMC like the robot. No, I did. I think it's called Humans. I, I, I want to say it was called Humans. I didn't watch it because I was afraid I'd, I'd overlap with it. And I can appreciate that because honestly, sure. I didn't stick with it, and that's why I was struggling to figure out the name. And it, I'm I'm 99 certain it was Humans. Um, you're doing it better. You really are, man. I mean, that's the thing. Um, and of course, X. I don't know if you saw X Machina. Yes, I did. Of course, yeah. Again, wow. I was also scared. Wow. Yeah, it's such a good movie. God. Yeah, man. Um, and cool. How he didn't get nominated for Academy Award will um, forever haunt me. There's honestly, man. There's like a whole list, and and truly, uh, a real slap in the face to both Michael B. Jordan and Ryan. Uh, is it Ryan Johnson that uh, did Creed? Because holy shit, Creed was just Ryan Johnson. Uh, Ryan Johnson's the Brick guy who's directing the next Star Wars movie. Okay, so yeah, and I, you know, I keep doing that. Yeah, uh, but I know, I know what you mean. Yeah, I'll, I'll look I up his name. Yeah, that, that should be. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, Sam Jackson should have gotten nominated for Hateful Eight. They fucked up. Yeah, yeah. No, it's ridiculous, man. I mean, that's the thing. There's like a lot of new uh, people. Ryan uh, Coogler, by the way, or Cogler. Yeah, so he's striking uh, the next Black Panther movie, right? Yes, which is pretty goddamn awesome. Yeah, um. Yeah, I mean, you know, Creed. Holy, did you see Creed? I didn't see Creed. I got too many damn kids. I saw Hateful Eight. I understand. I got that far. 
That's cool. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm ditching. I'm thinking, I'm, I might ditch comics tomorrow to go watch Hail Caesar. Don't tell my kids. Yeah, I really I want to see Hail Caesar. It looks like fun. Um, I hope it's good. I haven't I haven't read any advance reviews. I guess we'll see tomorrow. But uh, no, interesting. And I am looking forward to Batman Superman. And I am looking forward to. You're looking Sex forward Man. to it. What did you think of Man of Steel and the whole thing? Um, I I'm I'm in that camp too. That it's like no, you shouldn't kill Zod because you're Superman. <laughs> uh, but but I accept that it happened, and I'm willing to let them tell their story and prove me wrong. And also, I I, I appreciate I accept the argument that yeah, but that's like fully formed Superman. This is young Superman. He's still figuring himself out. And um, clearly, if Zod is reanimated into uh, Doomsday. Uh, Doomsday. Yeah, I, I get. You know, it's. I'm kind of. I am a little disappointed that they revealed so much uh, story. Uh, it's like, oh, I, I really hope there are a lot of surprises still to be told. And again, I mean, I, I think it looks good. I think Affleck is going to be a great Batman, and I really like Henry Cavill as Superman. I think he's he's great. Yeah. And I mean, it's so I funny. Agree. No underwear, but he's great. I, I agreed. And also, Sunday morning, they. Uh, they ran, um, they ran Man of Steel on FX, and I really love, especially like the first act when he's still Clark, and uh, like when he's on the oil derrick and he's on the, uh, he's uh, he's at the bar and stuff like that. I love all that stuff. I mean, that's very birthright in a good way, Wade stuff, and uh, you know, just Clark. You get that untold story that you from the Donner film when Jeff East, you know, leaves his silver-haired mom as. You know, Clark Kent tells us, and uh, you know, is suddenly you know a couple a couple winter scenes, and boom, we're in the fortress. <laughs> you know, or we're we're in the we're in the uh, ice cave that becomes the fortress, or whatever. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm you know, I think all that stuff was really neat, and there's a lot of Man of Steel that I do like. I Amy Adams, I think, is a great Lois Lane. Uh, I got no problem with uh, Fishburne as uh, as Perry uh, making. Uh, they they have like a female Jimmy Olsen. All right, whatever. You know, if you if you want, okay. <laughs> Could have been another girl at the planet if you want to make a make another woman and still have Jimmy. I love Jimmy Olsen. Me too. I think he's a great character. Jimmy Jimmy Olsen's the original, like you know, uh, civilian that got his own comic book for Christ's sake. He's the original Everyman. Although if I had a, if I had a, uh, I think I'd go Rick Jones over Jimmy Olsen if I was picking useless sidekicks. I understand and I respect that, but I got to tell you, I was the right age, especially during the Superman family years, and I and I know Caters on his podcast made fun of it in the seventies when Jimmy was Mister Action. I bought it. I'm like, yeah, of course he is. He uh, there were world's finest stories where he and Robin would team up. But Rick Jones was everyone's and, sidekick. He was Captain Marvel's. He was Hulk. He was Captain America's. I agree. I agree, and it was a damn good uh, second Bucky. Absolutely, man. Yes. No, I love Rick. Well, again, I can love both of those guys. And also, I have to And admit, he was a guitarist? And he was a musician? Yes, he was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but Jimmy was a cub reporter, man. He had the flying newsroom. For he was a photographer. Day. Not the same as a cub reporter, I feel. What's that about? Is that a cub reporter thing? You don't like No, he's a, he's a photographer. Do you think, do you think he yeah, was but a, he also, do you think he was a cub reporter? I think he was a photographer. Well, I think of both. I, I He started as a photographer and became a cub reporter. He, again... You gotta understand. I I read those stories in the '60s and '70s when he he, he graduated. Mister Action was another reporter, just like Clark Kent, because they let him age enough that he was like 25 year old Jimmy Olsen now, and he's all right now. I'm a man. I am a man. Um, it was awesome. I I remember Jimmy's bar mitzvah. It was beautiful. So uh, he <laughs> got through the whole prayer. 
You know, I don't know. I I uh, I love. I'm a big Jimmy Olsen fan. I, I I love the goofiness. I love when he was a caveman beetle. I love Turtle Boy. I love uh, Elastic Lad. The whole shot. Jimmy, big fan. I loved uh, the fact that um, what's his face who played him on the TV show, the old man, uh, cheap as Mister Kent. I can't think of his name right now. Jack Larson. Oh yeah, that's a while back. Jeez. He's the well. Dude, when he came back on Lois and Clark and they aged Jimmy Olsen, so Jack and it gave him an excuse to have Jack Larson play Jimmy Olsen again. And it's like, look, it's Jimmy. It's like when Shatner's Captain Kirk. It's like, oh, there's the captain. And again, nothing against Chris Pine, but it's like, no, that's Captain Kirk. Sorry. <laughs> you know, again, Chris Pine is fine. And then I, I don't have a problem with him, although I hated that trailer of the new movie. Did you see that? Yeah, I, I the Star Trek movies are, I don't know. Not a Star Trek person? No, I'm a huge Star Trek. I'm, I'm, I'm a huge Trek nerd. Yeah, I have a, I have a, Shat- oh, well. a Shatner page on my wall. Uh, I stare at it every day. Um, but uh, the, the new movies, I don't know. It's hard. They're, they're hard for me. I understand. No, I don't disagree. I, um, I liked the first movie enough. Second movie was, oh, no, I thought a big misstep, and it pissed me off, and especially wasted opportunity in the same way that you have Christopher Walken in Batman Returns as a, as a bad guy, and, you, you know, he, he did okay. But you really missed a great opportunity with him. There were too many bad guys in Batman Returns. And to have Cumberbatch in the second movie, and it was a shitty retelling of Khan. And it, 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 that's the thing. It was a shitty retelling. Like, they didn't need Khan for that story. They could have made they could have made him his John whatever persona. There was no need for Khan to be in that story. It was stupid. And there was too much att- too many attempts at fan service that that took away the integrity of its own story. There's my two cents. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't remember. I, I always think that the casting is so perfect, and they did they did a, as good job as you can do to recast people who have plastic images. Agreed. But I always think there's just too many plot holes in those movies. Like, that's, I, they get lost in like. Well, I, I feel like they're constructed from the let's create cool moments and then explain it later. And then yes. it's just like the, like I have this little nerd voice in me. It's like oh, that does. I, I listen to your Dan Slot episode, and I I hear what he's saying when he's like, ah, oh, it doesn't make sense, and it bothers me too much, you know. The, oh yeah, well the yeah the whole conversation Spock and Spock and everything and like yeah. like Ted said, am I going to eat oatmeal or pancakes? <laughs> Actually, you'll find a fondness for rice cakes with jam. <laughs> Thank you, future me. But 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 the new one has a different has a different director, so I don't know. If, maybe if they can nail it down. Yeah, well, and Iris Elba is so cool. You know, I don't know why. You oh no, I agree, it. and and yeah, hopefully they'll use him wisely. And and truly. Um, uh, Scotty, uh, uh, and now I'm blanking on his name, the actor. Uh, oh, yeah, Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg, huge Star Trek fan, writing the script. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. And I, but I have to admit, too, I'm just curious, if the movie fails, what is that? how does that impact whatever TV plan they got for the new show? Next year, you heard. You know, you heard. I don't think that. they'll change that. I think it's a. What do I know, friend? Yeah, but I'm excited about that. Man, I, dude, when the new Star Trek series came out when I was a kid, like when Voyager and learning the new cast, he's by the TV guy. Be like, oh, oh who's yeah, this guy? who's that guy? Oh my god! Oh man, I, Star Trek used to make me more excited than any other TV show in the world. Star Trek, maybe. Did you see that uh, Chaos on the Bridge documentary on Netflix? No, I want to watch it, but who has time for this? I understand. Well, you got kids. You I got, I got five books a month coming out right now. I got yeah, that I too. What's shit. the What's the fifth book? Oh, it's all, or is that the secret project? Those are super secret projects. Yeah. All right, I respect that. Right. But I, I, so, I had to do an issue of Green Lantern with Hal Jordan. Um, oh, cool! For dark for a dark side war. 
um, it was when JLA and they were like, Hey Tom, do you want to do like a crossover work with Jeff? I was like, hell's fucking yeah, I want to work with Jeff Johnson. So you did the, you did the new, the new God influenced, uh, Hal Jordan running around? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I got to write Hal Jordan for a second and I was what, like, and how did, you know, I forgive me. I forget how his power was affected by the new God power. Well, he was, he got lucky. He didn't get, it, it didn't happen outside. He was like the, the story they, they told was, or the story I told, I guess, um, yeah, was me. the idea behind it was um, <laughs> like I hate thinking my own plots. I was like, wait a minute, what was that about? Oh, I'm, yeah, I, I, forgive me, Tom. Honestly, because I can't read everything. No, 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 no. But I'm so proud of this issue, and 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 um, it led to a lot of my success because I think I, I did okay on it. Because w- what happened was um, the Parademons took over Oa and sort of transformed, um, and the Mother Box merged uh, with with the battery. With the battery. Oh, very interesting. And oh, that's cool. Cre- and and the idea behind the issue was that, um, well, Darkseid dies. In, in, in the, right. And so, right. So, and his god powers like have has have kind of gone yeah. to various heroes. And so he, the mother box associated with Darkseid goes to the, the second most powerful thing, and it goes to Oa and, and emerge. But because the actual power battery is pure will, it's unfocused will. There's no actual consciousness behind it. It's looking for a consciousness to guide it, and it's super powerful because it's emergence of. So it's basically a godlike thing, and it's and so he it goes to all the lanterns around the planet, and, and it says, "Will you be my god?" And all the lanterns, because the thing about being a lantern is you have to be humble with your power. They say, "No, that's not. I'm a lantern. I'm not a god." And it just kills them, or men turns them into zombies. Wow! Um, and does it turn them into parademons? Basically, yeah, or something? It turns them into like zombie parademons. And yeah. um, and that's what happens. Cool. And Hal lands on the planet, and every single green lantern's been turned into a parademon. Um, and they start attacking him, and uh, and and eventually they get to Hal and and sort of and, and the story takes place simultaneously with the flashback um, of Hal when he was a kid and his father just died and um, and he goes into a Catholic church and his mother's Jewish doesn't come with him and and uh, and he has to sort of light a candle and uh, and he's sort of talking with a stranger about what it what it means that his father died and God didn't save him and stuff like that. And then it, and then it becomes this issue where Hal comes in front of the mother box and it says like, do you want to be a God? I mean, are, uh, will you be my God? And I was like, I was like, Hal Jordan of all people, like all the other lanterns would say no, cause they're humble. But Hal Jordan, he is not humble. <laughs> right. Man without fear. Right. He's without fear. And he's the one guy who would say yes. And so that's what it's about is he says, yes, he says, I will be my God. I will be your God. And sort of, and then the idea, and I'll spoil the issue, I don't care, is that he's also is the one guy who can say no because in his mind, a god becomes a sort of a necessary being, has no will, and Cal Jordan needs will to survive. Um, and so he sort of gives up that power because he can't have will. Um, but it was, uh, all this is, it's a very, so I just spoiled that. That sounds great. That's a good issue. Like, but, uh, I'm going to have to hunt it down, man. No, that's cool because I'll be honest with you, I was reading a couple of the side issues. And a lot of them, I'm like yeah. Doc Sheener. Doc Sheener did the art for us. He should read it just for the art. Wow! I, lo- I as we were talking about before, very psyched for his uh, series with uh, Parker. And I've always been a Doc Shaner fan. Very cool. Yeah, dude, he's, he he killed it. Um, so so I'm gonna I'm gonna hunt that. Da- I promise you, I will hunt that down and read. Come it. to Word Bloom for Tom to summarize his comic books. That's what it'll be. Well, I know. I'm sorry, and I and and that's the thing. And the same with Omega Men. I'm I, I like I said, I, you can't read everything. Dude. I'm like, well, I'm reading Sheriff of Babylon. I'm reading Grayson. I'm reading. I'm reading, or I was reading Grayson read, up until the Robin War. You don't have to read any of my. <laughs> comics. 
and I'm and I'm reading Vision. I'm like, I'm doing I'm doing all right by Tom. There's enough there's enough books that I'm enjoying. I summarized that whole comic book just to tell you that like when I was Hal Jordan was the most fun I've ever had writing character. And Dick Grayson is my favorite comic book character, but he's hard to write um, because I just wrote him as Shatner. That's all I did was like Hal Jordan is Shatner. There's just that's fantastic. That's a good comparison, right? Because he's the guy. Because I always think of you know from Star Trek Five when he's when he's he's like, why does God need a starship? Um, or Star Trek One, which is a horrible movie, but where like God asks him, he's like, you know, give me whatever it is, and he's like, no, you know, like, like he's the guy who said no to God. Like that's sure. who Shatner. That's who that character is. And I was like, well, that's how Jordan. He, he's Captain and Captain Kirk, maybe my favorite character in all of fiction. Um, his attitude and his, his oh yeah his way. Of, well, it's sure yeah his sureness and everything. his sureness and his without fear and his like you know there is no no. I mean, is there there is. No better definition of a superhero or heroic character than than there is. He doesn't believe in a no win scenario. That's the fucking. That's it. That's all you should yep. keep your mind on. That the Kobayashi Maru, he cheated. That's what you need to know yep. about about every character you write in comics. They're the person who cheats on the Kobayashi Maru. I don't like to lose. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I know. I I hear you. No, that's the great thing, man. Shatner Shatner picks up the paper mache rock and that's a boulder. I'm going to throw it. And it's like, all right, I believe. I mean, he believes, he believes in himself and his reality. And therefore we believe. I, I love He's the guy in generations when he like makes the horse go over to the side. And he's like, I assume the odds are against this and we're sure to die. Because it sounds like fun. (laughs) That's right. Exactly. Dude, that's how Jordan is too. So I had so much fun writing that character. Well, and again, that's, that's what I love about, and forgive me. And I know you've heard it on word balloon, but that's what I love about wrath of Khan because he's for the first time, he's like, I don't know if I can do this. And Spock is like, just with subtext, we got this. We've done this. You are the right guy for this job. I know it. I believe in us. So don't worry. I'm right next to you. And what do we have to do? We got to, you know, and like, I mean, literally, it's like, all right, Khan's doing this. He gives him the information he needs. He helps him solve problems. They have their own silent code. Two hours means, two days means two hours. I mean, it, the whole thing. And then they finally, they beat Khan. The Genesis planet gets formed. The, the torpedo blows up. He looks for his friend and his friend is gone. Oh my God, my right arm, where the hell is it? And then he goes down and it's, he's dying. And it's like, I'm losing my friend. And it's this big emotional moment. Pine and Quinto did not earn that level of friendship uh, between themselves or from the fans. And that was a big F you to that movie where it's like, no, sorry, I don't buy it. Yeah. I, I, I don't buy it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I was, yeah, if, that, if the previous, how, how much that previous moment meant haunted the, uh, the second time I saw it. But yeah, I was like, I'm just, I can't react to it the same way I react to, to, yeah. to, to, um, to the first one, I don't know. And then even, and then for to even have us go through it again in three, when um, Sarek is mind melding with Kirk to understand what happened when Spock dies, and again Kirk pulls it off, where he's just like, no, you know, it's like, oh man, man. You, no, he's the man. The one thing that bothers me about two, <laughs> uh, since, since we're having a conversation, <laughs> by all means, no, no, I know we're going on hour four, go on. Oh. <laughs> We're not actually. It's a. We'll, we'll wrap up after this. Go ahead, no, Buck. You, I could go. I could. I don't know if people are interested in all this nerd talk. What the fuck? No, I, this is fine. This is good. They when he doesn't when he keeps his fucking shields down as the other ship is approaching, and he's and and, and the other ship are like they're 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 like respond respond they're not responding and he keeps his shields down. And is that five? It's or two is that and two? two. That's how Khan gets him. That's how he blows up the, the Enterprise, right? 
It always bothers me. It's like, well, put your fucking shields up, Kirk. You can improvise that. Play. I don't. I don't remember him ra- uh, not raising the shields oh. to dare Khan to fire at him. I th- I remember him lowering Khan's shields. No, it's when it's when Khan first approaches him. But he's approaching him in the, his friend, the friendly ship. Oh, the re- the re- the reliance. In the reliance ship, ship yeah. He, he doesn't. Well, because again, it's a it's a Federation ship. So what? It's getting closer. It's not responding to your signals. I say you raise your fucking shields. That's the only thing about it. That movie's perfect. That's that interesting. That's Isn't interesting. that odd yeah. what bugs you about things? I don't know. No, I, I understand that. I, I can... <laughs> the real line. That's all right. Because, um, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, that didn't... That, no, it didn't, it didn't occur to me at all. I'm like... And also, it shows that he isn't really back being himself yet. I mean, that's... And that's what I'm saying. That's like, he's like... You know, he's been a paper pusher and stuff, and he... He came to see the ship, and he's kind of bummed, and he misses doing it and stuff. And he's like, you know, of course the ship's yours. Or, you know, Spock's like, yeah, of course the ship's yours. No, 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 no. Yeah, whatever. And he's like, Jim, this is what you need to do. And then he says, he's like, if I may be so bold, accepting a promotion is the worst thing you could have done. Commanding a starship, starship is your first best destiny. I mean, that's the thing. First best like, destiny. Oh, such a good line. I read the book. Yeah. There's a book called First Best Destiny, and I read it. Or no, called The Best Destiny. I remember that book. Yeah, absolutely. No, some of those pocket paperbacks are just fantastic. Absolutely. Oh, my God. But that's the thing. Like, even before that, when he and Bones are getting together for his birthday, that's the thing. He's just like, I don't know if I'm me anymore. I think I'm too old. I mean, it's a cliche now. I'm getting too old for this shit. But that is that is that is basically what Kirk's going through, and too, in terms of I'm, I i don't think I can do this anymore. And if I can't, who the hell am I? And that's what I'm saying. Like, Spock's like, I know who you are. You're still that guy. And we're going to be fine. Don't worry about it. And that's what I love about Spock. Spock's always smiling. I mean, that's that's the cool takeaway from one, the first movie, is Spock touches V'ger and figures himself out. And he's changed after after that. And even his momentary mind wipe from being reborn and everything in the Genesis effect he he finds himself again ultimately, and it's like no, he is settled with himself. Yeah. He is no longer in conflict. He knows why his emotions give him strength, why they're necessary, and why the logic helps him as well. He is a complete person, and that's why he's like, I get me, and by and then two, he's like, I'm cool, and by the way, I know you too, so don't worry. Like it's he, Spock's already. That's the thing. Spock's already there. Yeah, it so, is, yeah, I, that, that, I totally agree with. But no, the, the lesson everyone learns from Star Trek One is not to have your characters stare at special effects for fifteen minutes well, because special poor effects. Robert Wise. Poor Robert Wise. So, so and, and there's another great director that you know who made this shit Star Trek the Motion Picture and definitely a misfire. Nobody bats a thousand, and that guy, Sound of Music, um, <laughs> Day the Earth Stood Still. I mean, that's honestly, I have this argument again with Hillary and Gabe Hardman. We're like, yeah, Robert Wise is okay. I'm like. Robert Wise could do a Western, a science fiction movie, a musical, and they're all great. I'm like, I think Robert Wise, you got to put him in the conversation with the all-time greats. And he's never he's never considered that because some of his stuff was considered lowbrow, like Day the Earth Stood Still and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, I mean, we appreciate it. And I think there is a level of appreciation from some critics but others would be like yeah 50 sci-fi movie whatever oh that's not true but the, i mean the problem with star trek one is that gene roddenberry had one plot he's one of those i, I feel like maybe i'm somewhere that too i only have one plot but like his plot was they encounter something it's very mysterious it turns out to be an omnipotent power that manipulates things they think it's god it turns out not to be god it's something from the past that was his plot he had that was his whole plot he had over and over again 
Yeah, no, that's true. Like that, that, and and so that's what Star Trek One is, and you you saw that in, in at least like thirty of the actual episodes. Oh yeah, oh absolutely. So I, I that that to me is the problem with Star Trek One. It's just it's that same plot over and over. But then they broke you, away with it a little bit. Are you watching the X Files? No, I was never an X Files guy. I don't know that that, okay. that was never my nerd. Not that I have a problem with it. I just think. When it was no, it's not for everybody. I can understand that. I think That's I think not... honestly, I probably was a little scared of it. I was on when I was like in high school, and uh, I was I didn't want to. I was like, oh man, I don't want to watch something scary at night, especially those aliens. Big eyed aliens freaked me out when I was a kid. Okay, well, I understand that because I'm I, I you know Walking Dead aside, I'm like not a big zombie fan. I could care less about zombies. Um, Walking Dead aside, but they uh, yeah, I'm not a zombie like, guy either. I, I was walking. The written Walking Dead. I don't watch the Walking Dead TV show. I watch the the Kirkman's Walking Dead is awesome. Sure, sure. Uh, well, I like them both. But the um, what was I going to say? The uh, the X Files. The people that don't like it, um, I, I think are either people that don't remember the original show because, frankly, um, they're they're covering the same tropes that they did in the series, but in a good way. And it it feels like oh my god, it's like they they never stopped. It's it's like you know there's just this literally like we all just made this big time jump from 2002 to now and it's like oh my god it's like it's next week and okay it's time for the X Files and it's great and they're older and stuff but they the the stories are thematically the the stuff that I liked about the X Files in the first place and the other thing is too it's not one story they've done three episodes and they felt like three different stories now maybe they'll ultimately all connect. And there are some, you know, overarching threads, but they're satisfying both the hit for the week and giving you a full story and also playing with the big story as well. It's great. Yeah, I, I read, I heard the the latest one with the tech of the were lizard or whatever it was. It was amazing. Hilarious. It was, yeah, I wish. Guy, the guy who was the manager of uh, Flight of the Concords played uh, played the were lizard. Oh, yeah. that's perfect. He's great. And he was, and also a little, little uh, tip to Colshack uh, the Night Stalker. Because his his outfit that he put together looks like the old seersucker suit that uh, Darren McGavin used to wear in the Night Stalker, oh, which is great. great. That's a great show, and I can appreciate again not liking monsters and icky things because uh, I was kind of like that as a kid too. My exception was the Night Stalker because Darren McGavin was hilarious. He's such a great, funny like that was the thing. It was half comedy, half half scary monster, and the comedy was just so great. I didn't care about the like I wasn't scared. <laughs> I was like, I was a 10-year-old kid watching The Night Stalker, and I'm like, this is awesome. And, like, you know, The Exorcist, like, I'm like, I don't want to watch that. <laughs> I don't find, do you find The Exorcist scary? I don't, it's, it's a horror Oh, movie. I find it disturbing. I find it really? incredible. Like, oh, even, and I was surprised when they brought it back with the extra footage, and she does the crab walk across, like, up and down the stairs. And I'm like, I was, you know, I'm like a 30-year-old man when that came back out or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, yeah, the fuck me Jesus man. stuff. You're like, wow, that was in a movie 30 years ago? Well, I guess movie, one movie. Oh, yeah. No, it was hardcore. Dude, the 70s were much hard, more hardcore. We're, we're pusses now. The stuff that flew in the 70s, yeah. that was hard. I mean, there's another hour of, of discussion. But for real, I mean, like, movies got so jaded, angry, and and realistic and just in your face. This is how shitty life is. And thank God, Rocky, you're like, oh, you know, oh, we forgot how good happy endings feel. Let's do those for a while. Oh yeah. And I mean, you know, there've been there've been like gritty movies since, but that's the thing. Like the seventies just got real cynical and real sad and real like, here you go, here's life. Yeah, no, I just watched Nashville the day for the first time. I was like, oh my god, I want to shoot myself in the head. Uh, <laughs> not to ruin Nashville for you, but it's. Whew. 
That's awesome. I uh, well, not that you'd want to shoot yourself. Not that I'd want to shoot myself in the head unless I watched Nashville. Well, Tom, we could do this forever, but I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna wrap it up just because I think at this point we're we're uh, we're just like throwing throwing shit oh, against the yeah, wall. Of course. Uh, hopefully, I didn't waste. Hopefully, you're driving home and you had a good time. No, are you kidding? Exactly. I think. Uh, I by the way, I the, every now and then someone will go. Your shows are too long. Um, that's I, I completely understand that from your own personal standpoint. I get uh, uh, you know ten to twenty times more emails of thank you. I have a filing job or I have some sort of mundane job, and one of your shows really like takes a good chunk out of my day. And there are other podcasters that just let their conversations go, and that's what happens. I mean, sometimes it's going to be, all right, we've talked for 40 minutes, that's enough, and sometimes we'll talk for two and a half hours like Tom and I have just done. But the good news is that I think it's interesting, and I think, as we were saying, we're talking about the things that the community would be talking about anyway, and they're just kind of sitting in on our conversation and probably agreeing and disagreeing with us in the various opinions that we gave. Yeah, I mean, I do a lot of interviews, I mean, especially like when DC or Marvel arranges my interview, and like the purpose of the interview is like, buy my stuff, buy my stuff, buy my stuff. And I feel like people get sick of that because they're like, God damn it, Tom, you know? What the fuck? I'll buy your stuff. So it's nice to just have a conversation and hopefully... Absolutely. No, that's, well, that's the intent of Word Balloon, and I don't think I need to uh, spell it out for people. I think they get it once they listen. Um, and and the good news is, is that, again, I talk to the creators whose books I admire. So uh, Sheriff of uh, Babylon is doing great. Vision is doing great. I'm sorry that you're leaving Grayson, uh, and I look forward to you wrapping up the Omega Men so I'll be able to sit down and read the whole story. Oh, thanks, man. That means everything to me. And, and really excited to hear what uh, happens when uh, when the announcement happens. Expect another call, and we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll check it. Yeah. Well, because the other books will obviously progress a little bit, too, and we'll 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 check back on uh, on what's going on with Sheriff of Babylon. Anytime, my, my life – some people have life goals of, you know – having a happy family and she's like, oh, fuck, my family could deal with themselves. My life goal is to get some sort of label. I want like a Bendis Takes, a Rucka Debrief. Well, we need a king. Uh, well, that's the thing. Like, you see, now Rucka, all right, Rucka took the debrief because that would work with the CIA thing. Yeah, damn uh, you. Damn you, right, Rucka, so what, and your damn well, talent. I don't know. The King's Inquiry? I don't know. Oh, look at it? you. You're good. Should we you call should it the King's writer. Inquiry? You should be a writer. You know, because I got, uh, did I ever come up with one with Brubaker? I don't think I did. No, you had one with Loeb, I remember. The Loeb, there's the Loeb report. There's the fireside chats with Matt Fraction. There's the Bendis tapes. There's the Rucka debrief. Oh man, if I get a nickname, that'd be the best. I want to. I want to do one of those things where you like. I want to be popular enough that people I go like on Reddit and get a bunch of questions and answer them. This is there you go. This man. is sorry. I'm a I'm a I'm a nerd. I should apologize, but that, that's oh. that's what you do. I want I, that sounds so much fun to me. That's awesome. Well, we'll come. I don't know. King's Inquiry. It's like it's okay. But I, I don't know. There's got to be a. There's something. There's probably something more clever. Hey, uh, you're uh, you're willing. You're uh, you're wi- the willing. The willing. We'll just call it the willing. It's so <laughs> symbolic. Oh Will my of the God. king. Give me my. Forget you, Tanahasi Coates. The Pulitzer Prize is mine. <laughs> thank you, Tom King. Thank you, John Sunder. Thanks, Tom King, and thank you for listening to uh, today's Word Balloon. I hope you enjoyed the show. Today it was brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com, where there are a lot of great deals happening. Uh, I can give you a few more. How about the uh, Bloodshot Reborn trade paperback volume 2, The Hunt, featuring uh, Jeff Lemire and Butch Geis. Uh, This volume is 30% off. It's just $10.49. You can get the X-Men Age of Apocalypse Dawn, uh, that is uh, from the uh, classic run. 
It's got an Adam, Adam Kubert covered, and it's 42% off, just $20.29. For 42% off, you can get the Daredevil by Mark Wade and Chris Somney hardcover, volume 4, for $20.29. You can get the Goon Library Edition, volume 2, excellent work from Eric Powell, 42% off, just $23.00. And 19 cents. There's the Batman by Ed Brubaker trade paperback, volume 1, 45% off, $10.99. Star Wars trade paperback, volume 2, The Showdown on the Smuggler's Moon, 42% off, $11.59. And that's just the beginning of some of the great deals that are waiting for you at InStockTrades.com. Check out all the details now, InStockTrades.com. John Snutra saying thanks again for listening to Word Balloon. Hope you had fun today. Uh, more great stuff coming up in just a few days. The, uh, dis- the February uh, dance card is full, but that's good news because that means you're going to get a lot of great interviews from a lot of really interesting people. A lot of first-timers this month, uh, but also uh, great uh, return uh, guests as well. So uh, I hope you enjoy the conversation so far. It's been a great February as we reach the midway point, but more great stuff is coming before we close things off. And there's even an extra day in February, Superman's birthday, February 29th. I love that Superman was born on leap year. That always just makes me smile. So uh, we'll uh, talk soon, okay? Thanks a lot for listening. Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2016.